This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 72. 72. We didn't, like, just crank these out, man. Are we at 100 yet with the interviews? We are so close. We're pretty close because we've had, I don't know, maybe 15, 16 interviews. Close to that. We're at 20 at this point. Are we? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're at almost 100, man. Almost triple-digit shows. So any uh, loose ends from past episodes, Mr. Bain, as we are, uh, eventually are going to head into a, a new type of episode, which we're going to call Point Counterpoint. Similar to Devil's Advocate, but not quite. Yeah, similar to Devil's Advocate, a little less adversarial. Yeah. Um, any any uh, loose ends, any feedback from past episodes? You know, great feedback from the Main Event Project uh, episode. I think uh, you know, a lot of folks were excited to hear more about it. They have been kind of making the rounds as far as from a podcast and just a uh, publicity perspective, and I really dig that. I like the message. I like what they're putting out there. Uh, the four ladies who founded the uh, the Main Event Project, so it was awesome to have Amber and Leah on. Uh, I believe we've talked about and t- uh, talked to. I've talked to Allison. I've talked to Tara. At some point, we'll have them on as well to talk about some uh, further things going on with the Main Event Project, but uh, I picked up my Main Event Project uh, shirt uh, this past weekend or two weekends ago now. Uh, pretty stoked to have that and to continue to support uh, you know a great cause. So uh, That was the main feedback and uh, loose ends that I had. Yeah, uh, agree. Um, I think it almost would be better to have each of those individuals on individually. I mean, we've already had we've already had Leah and Amber on individually, so true. there's some utility in having uh, them on together to talk about it. But to some degree, when you get beyond three people, it gets kind of difficult for one to you know kind of get the flow of the conversation. So I think it might be better just to have you know each one of them on. Um, talk about their lifting and talk about the main event project definitely definitely so other than that mr bain what is going on well we are fresh back from north of the border a, a, i would say a very successful meet uh for all those involved at uh at the sweatshop in cincinnati had a great time good seeing uh the cincy fam and a lot of a lot of friends uh last uh, heavy lower day was yesterday as of this recording uh so we are less than three weeks out now from the midwest equipped and uh shit's getting real man uh openers are set we basically have we got a plan, so let's see if I don't fuck it up. Okay, excellent. Very, uh, very excited for that. So, Stone, what's going on with you? Uh, we are fresh off having the intro to powerlifting meet that yeah. was here at 2XL awesome. on uh, Saturday. Um, had a nice nice crowd. A lot of young lifters. Awesome. Um, a lot of the... the a lot of female lifters I saw. Yeah, more females than males. A lot of females and a lot of young lifters. Um, a lot of questions. They were a very interactive crowd, which awesome. at least to me means they're at least listening or they're... Uh, they have questions. You yeah, know? they're 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 engaged. They're engaged. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yep. Um, awesome. Thanksgiving is coming up. That is my favorite holiday. Yeah. Um, I don't know when we'll drop this recording. Hopefully sooner than later. But yeah. it is a holy crap. You talked about it. We're three weeks out from the Midwest Equipped Open. We're, We're two, two weeks, weeks out, out from, from the raw, raw meet. So. Just did a meet. Just got back from Cincinnati. I mean, you've you've been gone or engaged with powerlifting or family activities for basically six weeks straight. Yeah, and I'm finally going to get a weekend off here, uh, for at least from that, yeah. um, around Thanksgiving, which is good. But then it's you know full tilt to the rest of the year yeah. um, with powerlifting and I'm sure family stuff for uh, the holidays. Yeah, but hey, you know what? We know what's awesome. Things are things again. People are getting to do shit again. I'm very excited about that. But other than that, Mr. Bain, what is fake? News. Our fake news this week, at least in the Bain household. I'm going to let Eric pull up the old uh, soundboard there. Uh, 
are fake news. Yes. The Park Ridge Park District in Park Ridge, Illinois, is fucking fake news. And their new sad. Oh, just just you wait. And their pump it up uh, group fitness. So for those who don't know, my wife uh, has been involved in the group fitness industry for uh, going on almost a decade now. Something Nick is very passionate about. And I am happy for her because I, I, I know how passionate she gets about her attendees and the people she, she trains and works with. And she has seen drastic changes in a lot of these people pre-COVID. COVID was very, very rough on her personally, and then it's the, that industry in general. Uh, two of the three gyms that she worked at uh, actually closed permanently uh, during the pandemic, which really sucked. There were two YMCAs, the one in Des Plaines, as well as in Niles, Leaning Tower, very famous around the powerlifting world uh, for meets they used to have back in the day. So super frustrated for her. So, But the Park Ridge Park District was still open and running these. They have now cycled through, since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, five group fitness directors. Wow. Yeah, uh, not not ideal. Apparently, this new uh, person seems very nice on the surface, but uh, not a big fan of the Les Mills brand. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all, Eric, but they're they're based in New Zealand. They're, they're strictly focused on group fitness. Been around for about 25, 30 years. Uh, you know, the typical choreographed with music, and a lot of it is it used to be just strictly pop. Now it's more of like an international flavor. I think it's an overall good program. It modifies to folks with different modalities and limitations. It, it seems to work very, very well, but they also keep it simple. I've had to listen to parts of this pump it up uh, training that Nick had to do over the weekend. And I'm all for group fitness. Like that works for some people. It's not my cup of tea. They keep on inserting this guy, Mr. Mansplain, as we are Dr. Mansplain, because he went to mansplaining uh, medical school. Perfect. Getting all the way into the very, very technical and like $2 word style of, uh, of education with this. And yeah, we're talking for essentially a glorified Zumba class. Right. And explaining the different uh, planes of motion and what muscle groups. And one of the questions on the quiz for this was, what is the fasciest subgroup of muscles that is used in this particular movement? I'm like, why the fuck would you ever need to know this? So what subgroup? The fascia subgroup. And, and Nick can give you the exact terminology it was used. She'll show you on her phone. Like, Yikes. I'll, I'll be honest. Eric, I know you are very knowledgeable about the human body, biomechanics. Some of these things would even challenge you just because they're using technical terms just for the sake of technical terms. And yeah. it's super fucking frustrating. And I know it's sad. Unbelievably. And I and I don't like the organization. It's a terrible, terrible organization. Your organization's terrible. Let's go. Let's go. And it's and it's it sucks because it has turned my wife off to teaching it and to being engaged with it and basically to a group that is local to us that she'd be able to interact with in and outside of class. That was more than a mistake. That was done purposely. One hundred percent it was. And let me tell you another thing about this. They Dropped the Les Mills brand because of a $500 a month uh, marketing budget they had to have. $500 a month? Uh, per month. Okay. And immediately hired four new instructors and are paying $400 a month for this new program. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I mean, I do know that, like, you, you will have a certain clientele that they're just, like, they've got their thing. Yep. And, you know, for good or for bad, you could say, hey, are they progressing – whatever, but like it, uh, Fred Hadfield used to have a saying that all exercise is good. And exactly. most exercises exactly. on the scale of, as long as it doesn't hurt you, is on the scale of good, better, best. Mm -hmm. Any exercise is good. Uh, a slightly organized form of exercise is better. And something specific to you is best. But I mean, you know how these group fitness classes go. I mean, people get ingrained in those mm -hmm. and they, they're very it, consistent. It, it's a culture. And, 
It's yeah, a culture. And, it, and, it's, and it's partly the people. You know the same people there all the time. Right. Um, you know the instructors. They get to know you by name. They know some of your limitations. And they're able to modify these things. Now what Nick has to do is she has a baseline for these classes. She has to design every fucking class she does. Now, this is where I get pissed off because the, the amount of stress that puts on my wife having to redesign classes every week right, and directly to, affects my marriage, and I'm not okay with it. Right, and not to mention, and I, I, not, I, I wouldn't denigrate anybody's job, but I don't assume that she's, she's certainly not making more money with the new program than she was hell the last no, one. Hell no. And she's, uh, I'm assuming, not getting paid extra to prep. No, I mean, she, let me rephrase. She got paid her training wage, which is $10 an hour. Yeah. And, so. Which is ridiculous. Sure. And only for that four-hour training that she did yesterday. Right. Not to not, prep all her classes. Right. And not also for right. the testing so, she's doing, all this kind of bullshit. Yeah. So that's the thing. When you have these group fitness classes, um, I would say most of the time, most instructors would consider it better to have not necessarily a canned program, but a template to follow. Exactly. So that it's, hey, you know what you're doing. You go in and... You can run. You're just run, you're focusing on running the class, not on and, not on programming per se. And most importantly, when folks know the brand, they know if they're doing a Les Mills class, if they're in Chicago, Illinois, Miami, Florida, LA, different flavor from the instructor, but they're going to get consistency across yeah. the program. Yeah, just like Jazzercise to some degree, it's, just like CrossFit. Exactly, exactly. You know? And so it, it's fake news. It's bullshit. And it, it yeah, I could go on for a long time about how uh, I don't like it. But uh, Stone, what is? You are fake news. Um, the DuPage County Health Department is fake news. Really? Tell us why. Um, yeah, they have a, a now, and I, I tried to go find the post. I should have screenshotted it, but mm-hmm. they have a now deleted post they made on your Thanksgiving Remember, COVID. Remember, are temporary screenshots of forever. Yeah, I know I should have. Your Thanksgiving COVID menu, which should have things like making sure your family is vaxxed and consider eating your, uh, consider eating your Thanksgiving meal outside Attempting to have three to six feet of distance between you and your family members. You know what the DuPage County Health Department can do? They can consider eating my ass. <laughs> they got ripped in the comments, and that's probably why they deleted it. But uh, let's let's be honest here. We've got 100,000 people packing into stadiums. Which they will be this weekend because it's Ohio State, Michigan this weekend. There's 100,000 people packing into college football stadiums literally every weekend. I went to the Bears game uh, as this recording yesterday. Not an empty was there. And, yeah, that's, it's, if I should still have that queued up. I don't, but it was sad, sad ending. Yes. But it was a full stadium. None. I would say out of the number of uh, patrons. 65,000 yeah, people there. Out of the patrons there, I would say less than 5% were wearing masks. Exactly. Out of the employees there less than half were masked. 100%. Even indoors, quote-unquote. And I'm, yep. I'm not complaining about that either, but when you say that we need to, like, cons- in Chicago, in DuPage County, consider eating outside at the end of November for Thanksgiving, that is fake news say, right there. Say it with me, kids. Wrong. Uh, Bane, on to our hot topic. The hot topic... The USAPL is out of the IPF, and Powerlifting America is in. That is true, Mr. Bain. Uh, I'm just going to let this ride a little bit. <laughs> now, uh, that's probably enough there, sir. <laughs> before we get uh, before we get copyright, yeah, it's true. It's true. We before we, we get, get copyright viola- violations on that, <clears throat> um, we've talked about this, and, and Mr. Bain, 
uh, let's be honest. This is a topic which we undoubtedly could put an entire and will. We, we are going to. We will be doing an entire episode on we'll this. We'll put an entire episode on this. But uh, just you know, the hot topic in general, the news is that the USAPL has been voted out of the IPF as mm-hmm. the U.S. affiliate and the quote powerlifting America new organization. Which I, as of this recording, I've seen nothing on. I've only there, been able. There's to, one fake Instagram account. Yeah, and I've only been able to find. You know, like basically like a, a registration online mm-hmm. to one Robert Keller. I love democracy. Uh, no, I think you called it, but we both called this. The we, you, you were in agreement. I, I may have been the first one to say, but you were were basically fully on board. We we called this months ago that the USAPL was likely going to be out, and that one Robert Keller. Go back and listen to our episode on the USAPL becoming the IPF affiliate, mm-hmm. and here they are. Oh, like 20... Uh, 30 years later. It was 97, I think. So I think okay, 23, so, 24, 25 yeah. years later, um, they are out. Um, and one Robert Keller, who let's let's give some context. He was uh, part of the USPF executive committee mm-hmm. when the USAPL, then the ADFPA, mm-hmm. replaced them as the US IPF affiliate. Was booted from an IPF meeting. Literally was kicked out. Forcibly removed. And I, I've tried to find those minutes. Nobody has them. I no. hope I can get the minutes from this recent meeting somewhere. Oh, my gosh. I, and I'm interested to know who was all in attendance because the the internet chatter is of the, what, 126 only member nations. 23, only 24, yeah, Not even 30 yeah. were there. So they were voted out. Um, and Robert Keller, who was in the USPF, was kicked out of the IPF General Assembly meeting where they voted on this. Mm-hmm. At some point, I'm not exactly sure when. I think in the early 2000s, I remember him being a meat director for the USAPL. So in that four or five years subsequent, he, despite the USPF being out, mm-hmm. he, uh, he went made back. amends. He, he made amends. Um, at some point, he started running the NAPF or running NAPF, the North American Powerlifting Federation mm-hmm. regional meets. He ran some meets in Puerto Rico, I want to say, I remember. And... At some point, he's. I believe. Don't don't quote me on this, but I believe he is or was the general secretary of the IPF. I seem to recall this as well, and I think he stepped down from that last year. If, if ah. I, again, if I'm if I'm remembering yeah. the timeline right, and then not soon thereafter, we started hearing the rumblings, and that's when we postured our theory that this could be a almost thirty year Palpatine isque long play. And I feel very, very vindicated with that uh, that prediction right now. Well, I mean, or validated. Uh, I say, uh, he's he's the one that's registered Powerlifting America, yep. which has already been voted in as the new U- U.S. IPF affiliate. Uh, I, I haven't. I'm surprised that he hasn't done like post anything. Now maybe he's working behind the scenes as an emperor might. Exactly how you do. There's always two Sith: one to have the power, one to crave it. So there will be an apprentice that will come forth. That will come. There'll be the social media apprentice that will post Darth oh. Ferret. <laughs> no, 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 sir. I'm just saying. I've been right before. Okay, well, it could be squeak, 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 squeak. So uh, there's more to come on this, but I'm not surprised. Uh, the fix was in on this. Uh, this is about now. Let me be very clear on this, and we'll talk about this in a full episode. But nothing of this was about drug testing. Nothing. Drug testing was not the reason the USAPL... So it's not about the science? No. The USAPL was not kicked out because of drug testing. They were kicked out because of power and money. And and compliance. They well, did not comply. They well, did not do what they were told by the, the, the that their fall, governing body. Right. And that's what happened. It fall, That falls under power, I suppose. It does. But, but, but I'm sure. saying, like, I, I just, it's very much in line with what's been going on over the last 24 months. So You're not wrong, Mr. Bain. It's saying. 
Follow, follow the rich white people. You'll always figure it out. Chris Tucker, very wise man. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's uh, let's move on to something a little lighter. Yes. A uh, a classic stone story. I haven't heard this one in a while, actually. It's, uh, it's actually been quite a long time. So. Oh, this is a recent story, Mr. Bain. Really? I thought I'd heard a similar one then. Uh, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. But this is a recent story. Okay, gotcha. This, I thought this one was... Uh, was a while ago. So no, this was just a recent one. So a female Pe- people are just as weird then. <laughs> yes, uh, a female member, and this one is titled "I Just Want You to Be Comfortable." Oh my god! And a female this, member. This could be a waiting by the phone episode, actually. A hundred percent. A hundred percent could be a waiting by the phone, which is one of Bane and I's favorite segments. On uh, actually, it's on a bunch of radio stations. Yep. Locally, it's on Kiss FM one zero three five. Yes. So a female member. She I'm not going. I'm not going to say who. We'll just call her Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aaron was meshing with a guy. I can't remember if it was on a dating app or. If she'd initially met him in person, um, but you know, nonetheless, they they were exchanging digitally. Yeah, they they'd met, and I believe he'd come into uh, her uh, place of business, um, and he said he was going to take her out to a sports game, mm-hmm. and we'll call him Joe. So Joe has a traveling job. We'll just put it at that, and yep. so he does not live in the Chicago area, mm-hmm. and he was in from out of town, and per- before the proposed date of a sports game. Um, Joe asked Aaron to meet him downtown where he was staying or Mm -hmm. in Chicago might not have been exactly downtown in the city of Chicago for a drink. And she says, well, you know, we've been messaging and we're supposed to go on a date and, you know, another, I can't remember if it was a few days or a week. So she says, all right, I'll go down and just have a drink with them. And they seem to have a good time. Mm -hmm. They're at a bar, they're talking. Um, and then Joe invites Aaron back to his hotel room. Dun, dun, dun. And she says, okay, but just makes it very clear that says, you know, we're not sleeping together. That's mm-hmm. not the reason I'm going back to your hotel room. Because, you know, uh, to be fair, as a male, if you ask a female to your hotel room, you might, and I'm not saying you should, but you might at least think there's a plausibility of um, additional things going on. Engagement. Right. Uh, so after a while... Um, a while. After a while, uh, Joe randomly goes to the bathroom and says, I, I got to go to the bathroom. And he comes out without a shirt on. Yikes. And says, I just want you to be comfortable. And I was just hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she kind of ignores this. And, and maybe that should have been her signal to like run for D Hills at that yeah, point. That, there, there's red flag number one. And it's very uh, large. And, you know, I the think she, I, I believe at that point she reiterated again, like, you know, I didn't come here to sleep with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to hang out with you, but I'm not sleeping with you. And, you know, kind of awkward now that his shirt is off. And yeah. the question that was asked when I told the story to someone else was, was this a man with a superior physique? Sure. No, no. He, he, Joe did not have a superior physique. Very, very he, dad bod, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, very dad bod. Not, not, like, not, not terrible or anything like that, but like, you know, if you're, say, a Lex Luger-esque physique, like, you, if you take your shirt off for a female, she might be like, wow. You obviously spend time in the gym. Yeah, so. you know, that, that might be a, a good way to yep. convince her that she should engage. Yes. Um, but no, that was not the case. Yikes. So then Joe goes back to the bathroom after 10 or 15 minutes. This time comes out without his pants on. <laughs> now I he, just want you to be comfortable. I just and I just want you to be comfortable. And apparently he still had boxers on at that point, but it's at this positive. point Aaron says, "Uh smell you later player. Yeah, peace I'm out of here. I'm out of here." Yikes. And here's my here's my uh perception on this. I believe and I'm I, I'm not going to assume anything, but I think that Aaron was maybe like on like the maybe. Sure. 
She was maybe on the maybe. Like, like you, like you're gonna have to navigate a labyrinth. But like, if you can, you right. know, if you can solve the puzzle, th- there right. might be a problem. If, if you actually had made her feel comfortable, yeah. like she was maybe only at ten or 30 percent, maybe. Yep. But once you just go, just start taking your clothes off without, yeah, yeah. without being asked or without any like signals thereof. Yeah. That's not gonna work, player. No. A hundred percent. This does sound like a waiting by the phone. No. Oh my gosh. Now, like we also said, if the reverse happened, if a female just came out with her clothes off. I would say if the... If, High 90% of males right. would go, uh, please and thank you. If the male is heterosexual or yeah. bisexual even, I would say... It, 90- I would say 90% of the males that are in engaged with this type of activity and, yeah. and in this setup that we're talking about, yes. High 90% are going to go, yeah. Yeah, yes, please. I don't believe that's true for men. I'd say unless you're Lex Luger, even then it's plausibly not going to work. Or Machine Gun Kelly, one of the two. Right. So, anyways, Mr. Bain, let's move on to our Plusa throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. We're going all the way back to September 1993. Way back, man. Jeez. And uh, on the cover, we've got the ADFPA, which would become the USAPL. Dun, dun, dun. Men's Nationals. Mm -hmm. But what was going on in September 1993, Mr. Bain, with you? Well, I was uh, playing soccer. Nobody cares about soccer. Uh, I was actually this was my first season on a traveling team, which was a, a very unique uh, experience for me because my family like knew of this but just had never experienced it. Uh, probably one of the best times of my life playing soccer outside of college, uh, traveling all up and down the Eastern Seaboard and, and playing a lot of tournaments. It was it was super the fun. Eastern Seaboard, yes, uh, super fun. Like, just seeing a lot of cool places and sure, you know, hanging with a lot of really like just awesome players and. Uh, on that team, we had 20, 22 guys on that team, and 18 of us ended up playing college ball at some level. So it was wow. a pretty good fucking team, actually. And how many players are on the field at a time? 11? 11, yeah. Yeah, so wow. Yeah. So pretty good. Yeah, so I mean, our, our starting keeper, I mean, God, we were, you know, at this point, I'm 11, 12 years old, and he was already like 5'11". Wow. Just an enormous young man. And he ended up actually going to uh, UCLA, and he was an All-American there. So he was one of the big reasons why we were very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was that was cool, uh, and then we were uh, getting ready to move to Colorado Springs. Uh, that was the roots of the plan uh, at that I didn't, time. Oh, you did not move to Colorado Springs. We did not. This is this was a whole saga where we went out there and it was we had an awesome time. We uh, saw houses. My dad worked for MCI WorldCom at that time, and they had three major hubs. They had uh, Pentagon City, which is right outside of DC where we lived, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and uh, Colorado Springs. Dad is all set to go to Colorado Springs. We had found a house. He had a great deal on the house. Uh, it was a beautiful home, four bedrooms, uh, overlooked Pikes Peak, which, like, I mean, you had this huge bay window in the kitchen. You basically wow, I've Pikes been there. Peak. Have you been to Pikes Peak? Uh, I've seen it from that window, but I've never actually been oh. up it. But, you, I mean, I hear it's beautiful. It is. It's a, it's a difficult drive. Yes, yes. But, I mean, we, you know, we were stoked. We, we found a soccer club for me. We found stuff for my sisters. We had a great school system. Everything was set, and six weeks before we were supposed to move, we got word, oh, no, we're actually sending you to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yikes. Yeah, and that then started my whole saga of living in Iowa and all that bullshit. But the positive of all that is that he did meet my wife there, and then that did get us closer to Chicago, which is where we ended up at. So okay, uh, all worked mm. out well. But, yeah, that is what we were doing. Stone, what were you up to? Um, I would have been 10, uh, just starting fifth grade, mm-hmm. and playing <gasps> soccer. Nobody cares about soccer! Wow, that was, that was very, uh, very beefy there. Yes. Um, but what was going on in the world? As, as Matt Martucci says, I had that voice that kind of cares over everybody. Yep. Uh, what was going on <laughs> in September 1993? Uh, so just some interesting notes uh, that I looked through. General Colin Powell retires, I, I assume. Oh, just, wow. I assume just from the military. I mean, because he would go on. Yes, yeah, so he had public service. Civil, you know, yeah. to be a public servant. Mm-hmm. Um, he retires September 30th, 1993. 
The Israel-Palestinian Peace Agreement, the Oslo Accords, were signed on September 13th. Interesting. Um, which would probably not do much because it's a saga yeah, that continues for millennia, basically. They're still fighting. Frasier debuted on September 16th. I think I've seen one episode of that show ever. The X-Files debuted on September 10th. I watched that show for the first four seasons religiously. Love okay. that show. Nolan Ryan, age 46, pitches his last game. I don't think Nolan Ryan gets enough credit. Dude, he was a stud. And, I mean, he was an unbelievable pitcher mm-hmm. and pitched into his 40s? like His we, late 40s. I mean, we talk about Tom Brady, you know, playing quarterback. You no, know, granted, football is a little bit more of a, you know, uh, combative sport. But sure. still, like, like, a lot of pitchers now, like, they're lucky if they make it to their 30s before they blow out their elbow or Correct. their shoulder. Correct. So, man, you got to, I mean, just from the longevity standpoint, I mean, I think I, I saw a statistic once where, like, Nolan Ryan at one point like had pitched against like a dad and his son in his like, career in like three four times right right so fun fact uh, while Nicole was pregnant with Nolan our son uh, we were talking about the baseball steroid scandal and talking about Roger Clemens passing Nolan Ryan on on one of the various lists and my wife's comment was oh I like that name and that is how Nolan got his name oh wow. I mentioned Nolan Ryan interesting yep. name so that, is, Ryan, huh? that is technically who he's named after yes okay. Uh, on the cover, again, we talked about uh, ADFPA Nationals, the 181 National Champ, Rob Wagner, on the cover. Eyes busting out, like literally bleeding out. I mean, he's got quite the mustache as well. He, does. Um, he would have been good with Movember. Oh, yeah. It also looks like he's got some sweet chest hair, and he's got on uh, an erector shirt, it looks like. One of the old school poly erector shirts and a Titan suit, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, that sounds all right. <laughs> yep. Uh, he did lifts at that meet, the 1993 ADFPA Nationals, of 766 squat, 407 bench, and a 650-pound deadlift at 181. That's very solid. Some pretty impressive lifting for single ply in 1993. Mm-hmm. Uh, best lifts he in competition for Rob was a 799 squat, Ooh, so a close. 446 bench, and a 762 deadlift, and he competed... 672. I'm sorry, 672 deadlift, and he competed at 198 and 181. I believe all those lifts were at 198. Mm-hmm. Um, started with the USPF in 1982. From then on, mostly competed ADFPA, and then USAPL through about 2005. So pretty, uh, pretty prolific lifter in that mm-hmm. uh, organization. Speaking of the ADFPA Nationals. This one, we've, we've talked about this a couple of times, or at least uh, other people doing this. Yes. Uh, we've got Greg Beadle Lowe won the 275s, and this was confirmed in the article by Mike Lambert. Yes, indeed. Uh, Greg Beadle Lowe was, quote, given permission to compete from prison authorities in Gator Ford, Pennsylvania. Yikes. And, I, 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 again, I want to do some more research on this one. Um, from my understanding, he was – like in jail for twenty to twenty to life. For he murdered murder. somebody. Yeah, like he, I, I believe. I, now maybe it was second degree murder. Maybe it was manslaughter. But I mean, he can undoubtedly he committed he, a felony. He killed a person. Yeah, somebody died. I believe, and, and he was allowed to go compete at at ADFPA slash USAPL future nationals. Wow, didn't realize he had that much pullback then. In the two seventy fives, uh, he did a nine oh three squat, a four fifty one bench, and a seven fifty five deadlift. Good for a 21-10 total, the second biggest total in the meet. And, again, 
let's bear in mind that Greg Lowe was literally in prison at the time. Jesus. I, I mean, I, and I don't know what weights he had access to. Like, most of the time, they don't have that much. So. No, nothing close. I mean, he basically doing bodybuilding workouts. And not to mention the fact that, like, what kind of diet is he on? Like... I mean, typically you don't get all, like all I can think of is like Cali Muscle and his like tuna and ramen diet. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're getting extra stuff from the commissary yeah. and and supplementing it, and he he was definitely not supplementing no any no, no, no. any drugs a- though a- because ADFBA. it was it was American drug free. Yeah, sure, uh, sure, sure. And again, if you haven't listened to all of our previous Alphabet Soup, the ADFPA that stands for the American Drug Free Powerlifting Association, which would become the USAPL. And is now out of the IPF. Dun, dun, dun. Westside Barbell assesses the Buffalo Bar. And this is when it was first available from Iron Mind um, back in 93. Louis said the Buffalo Bar, which has a slight curve to it. It's mm-hmm. it's less than uh, the Duffalo Bar. Yep. Actually, much less. Yes. It uh, It's less than the Titan Bar, I believe, as well. Uh, uh, yeah, a little less. Yeah, it, it's just a slight curve. Actually, I think the Buffalo Bar on squats, I like it feels the best, especially at a low bar position. It just it's very natural on the shoulders and uh, in the hands. You know, for for all those slight camber bars or just yes, just, yeah. yes, of all those slight camber bars, I like it the best because it it feels the most like an uh, like a regular bar. Sure. I like the duffalo bar, but if I get the knurling for the duffalo on a buffalo bar, I'd uh, be a happy camper. I agree with you. Um, I like the duffalo bar as well. I actually like it better for benching. I just think it has such a severe camber that it becomes almost like a cambered bar, sure. which isn't necessarily a bad thing per se, but if you want a more replicate of a straight bar, I think the Buffalo bars curved does a better job. Um, and Louis said it reduces stress on the back shoulders and especially biceps. Um, he said a lot of the West side guys were getting bicep tendonitis at that time. And he said it mostly had to do with squatting. Mm-hmm. And he said they were making their own Buffalo bars uh, as good mornings were bothering their shoulders. Probably also why they were big on the safety squat bar. Probably, yeah. Um, so, yeah, interesting. The Buffalo bar kind of came to be in this time period. We had the top 100 114s from June 92 to June 93. I'm just going to go over the top because, mm-hmm. I mean, no offense to the 114s, but we don't know most of them. Correct. C. Dunbar with a 507 squat. And he, I mean, this does speak to, when you look at this list, this speaks to the lack of depth. Now, there are 100 people. In the 100s. But I do have to assume that some of them are likely females. Mm-hmm. But the top squat, C. Dunbar, 507. Number two jumps to 457. Number 10 drops to 380. Yikes. So it's 130 pounds from first to 10th. And here's the thing. That's still over three times body weight. Like, yeah. I don't want to knock it, but it, yeah. Yeah. But, but you're right. The disparity is substantial. Yes. C. Hollyfield with a 330 bench. P. Heil with a 473 bench, mm-hmm. and he also was top of the total. Heil with an 1173. He actually tied C. Dunbar. They both had an 1173. I don't know. I think you would put the first person. Oh, yes. P. Heil did do that first. He did it in uh, the summer of 92. Dunbar did it in the summer of 93. Gotcha. So, and, and again, a big disparity. Your top total, 1173. I mean, you drop all the way to, to 955 for number 10 spot. Wow. So, those are your top 100 114s. Um, our buddy Herb Glossbender also had the Go on, top, had also had the top 100 275 benchers of all time. Oh wow! And it's interesting to look at these names and and the numbers here. But Craig Tukarski and I, I didn't put it in my notes, but our buddy, our guy who does our awards, John Smoker, had a little article on Craig Tukarski. He was a, a relatively local guy. Mm-hmm. He was top the 275s with a 703 bench. Um, 
And uh, he did a seminar in Northwest Indiana where John Smoker is, and there was an article on that. Ken Lane with a 670 bench is number two. Ted Arshidi uh, with a 650 bench is number three. And a, another well-known guy. Let's see if we have another well-known guys here. Um, you've got Young with this uh, 611, about six or seven. Um, Doug Furness of Furness and LaFans in the WWE. 601 bench, one of the strongest WWE superstars of all time. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly Mark Henry's up there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, He's just a ridiculous athlete, man. Undoubtedly. We've got an av- and I might take this one. This is an interesting little article. I mean, an ad I found, um, a- an ad for one of the original monolith squat racks. And it's a full-page ad from the Monolith Corporation. Wow. And it says, the Monolith Competition Squat Rack. Um, and it says, some rule books were even changed to allow for the use of the Monolith. And at this time, it was 1950 plus shipping and handling. Wow. Um, the optional safety training platforms, which I think we've posted pictures of. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, I mean, they're really like, if you've seen Blaine Sumner set up for mm-hmm. his safeties, they're basically like that, but they are, and I don't know if Blaine's are adjustable or not, but they're fully adjustable. They're actually, I'm surprised nobody else had, has made safeties like these to put direct, because they fit right over the base of the monolift, yeah. and you can adjust them, and they won't ruin your bar because the plates will land on those safety platforms. Right. And if you train by yourself or train with not as many spotters, they're, they're pretty nice. They're pretty innovative. Um, I would say well ahead of their time. In general, I, in general, I'd say that the the Monolith Corporation and Ray Madden were, were he was ahead of his time. Just um, obviously, a terrible business model because he couldn't uh, couldn't survive the long. Yeah, long. yeah. I mean, we, we have an whole episode on that. If, you know, his wife talks about that. Yep. Um, and there was an ad for weight releasers, which you know I, I actually like using. They're kind of clunky to set up, but I do like including them in. I always almost forget about them, but. I like them for speed bench, you know, to overload the top. And if you're not familiar, you know, weight releasers, basically, they're hanging from the bar, typically used for bench, and that's what's demoed in this ad. And as you, if you set them properly, if you get down to the bottom, they, they basically fall off the bar. So you're mm-hmm. overloading the eccentric portion of the bench. Um, I've not, I, I have heard of them being used for, for squats, but you need, like, super extenders or you need, like, a box or something. Um, but I, I do like them. They're interesting. I, I will say, if you're ever interested in, in using these, uh, definitely get somebody who has used them before to help you set them up because the first time I use them, the surprise of when they fall off is just it's very unique. So definitely you want to make sure that you're very, very stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I agree with you. Like I, I love then the almost like the explosive feeling coming off the chest. Yeah, I mean, it's that same kind of idea like uh, using the donut on yep. uh, a baseball or softball bat mm-hmm. and then taking it off. And that's... Uh, some of the speed work that I have some of our lifters here do, we kind of use that same concept that Louie talks about in Westside Book of Methods, where you do a set with accommodating resistance, immediately take it off, do another set. Or he talks about if you don't have accommodating resistance, do a set, immediately reduce the bar weight 20 to 30%, mm-hmm. and immediately do another set. We so, call this reduction method. I think he calls that the contrast method. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Repl- replacement effort method. <laughs> and we never deload, but... And, and Circamax is only one week, maybe it's three weeks, it might be six weeks. I, I, it's funny, <laughs> this last weekend I talked a little bit to uh, Adam Zubchuk, yeah. who's now training uh, with Dave Tate, mm-hmm. who obviously is a West Side guy. And I, he said he was in the middle of a Circamax phase of yeah. his training where, yes, he, did re- he, he is replacing his dynamic effort lower with a Circamax. Interesting. And he said, and he's still doing a max effort day and a Circamax. The max effort day is more deadlift oriented, and we kind of talked about how, like, you know, 
not all max effort movements are like they could also be max effort, but not all max effort movements are created equal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, clearly a circa max like in your briefs and wraps or suit bottoms is far different than say a max effort safety squat bar to a 12 inch box. Right. Like the, the safety squat bar box squats hard, but the load is not going to be very high. Right. So you maybe could do those, you know, both in a week. I mean, you can't do it for very long. I wouldn't yeah, say. I wouldn't advise it. So anyways, from there, Mr. Bain, um, we are going to continue talking about band shirts. We do have a, a previous episode a while back that we talked mm-hmm. about this and um, why I don't like them. Um, so you could, <laughs> you could go back and listen to that if you want a, a preview. But, uh, you know, I do go through some of my reasoning um, in this as well. But um, we do have Hunter Hernandez, who uh, he'll talk about his kind of credentials as a bencher. Um, pretty, pretty prolific lifter in general. Yeah. Pretty prolific, uh, 148, mostly, uh, bencher. I think you said he's cut to 132 as well. Yes. Um, so pretty prolific multiply unlimited now bencher. Um, and he is the, the individual who started the multiply powerlifting Facebook group, which is how at least you and I kind of, uh, got acquainted with him. I, he's done, uh, an APF Illinois meet before. Yep. I don't. I don't specifically remember him only because, like, you know, it was many, many years ago, and we, we do have a lot of lifters. Yeah, it was 05, I think he said. It was yeah, 05, o- I think maybe 06, 07, but it's been a while. Um, and so he's going to provide the, uh, the counterpoint to my uh, opposition to band shirts. Yep. And, uh, you know, we'll discuss it, and then afterwards you and I will kind of react to that, Mr. Bain. Sounds great. So for now, let's go ahead and throw it to our interview with Hunter Hernandez. All right, everybody, welcome back to Strength and Anger doing yet another interview and a really exciting one, probably one that uh, not most of our listeners would, uh, would anticipate given uh, some opinions that maybe uh, Mr. Stone and myself have, uh, have given over the last few months. Uh, we have with us on the line right now doing a three-way phone call because I myself uh, am in Dallas. Eric is uh, in Strength Anger Studios. And Mr. Hunter Henderson, Hernandez, I should say Henderson, I'm not talking about here. Uh, Hernandez, it's been a long day at work, I'm sorry, guys. Here on the show, live from Las Vegas, one of the coolest things to ever say live from Las Vegas. Uh, Hunter, welcome to Strength and Anger, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate the, uh, the invite, and I get, uh, you know, I get excited to, uh, to talk about anything powerlifting. So, you know, definitely, um, just having the opportunity to have a discussion and, you know, uh, just kind of get my opinions out there is awesome. Yeah, good to have you on, Hunter. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's get into the, kind of the basics. Uh, and first of all, sorry for fucking your name up. I'm I'm the worst guy ever, uh, Hunter. <laughs> so, so sorry about that, man. Uh, no, it's not. I'm a terrible human. I'll flag myself later. Uh, introduce yourself. Give us a little quick background. Uh, where you're from? What you do? Uh, maybe some of your accomplishments uh, within the powerlifting world, and then maybe what you do outside of powerlifting, whether it's professionally or just in general. Uh, actually, before the uh, the, the show started, we talked about you actually got a pretty cool occupation, so feel free to talk about that, and uh, and then we'll kind of dive into everything and, and you know talk about uh, some powerlifting stuff. So uh, the floor is yours, man. Take uh, take it away. Yeah, definitely. Just a little bit of a background on myself. I started powerlifting in 2007. I got into it just from being like the tiny kid, small kid. Um, I was like a 108 pound weakling type deal. Uh, mm-hmm. First time I ever tried to bench press, I tried 95 pounds. We got like stapled by it. It's like totally stapled. So the next day that I went to the gym, um, I met this guy. I walked in, and there was like 30 people standing around this guy trying to bench 700 pounds. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I was like totally just like blown away. So when the mm-hmm. crowd cleared, he was going to get water and stuff like that. I walked up to him, and I was like, hey, man, I tried that lift that you were doing yesterday, and I got stapled by it. Like, is, do you have any advice for me or anything you can help me out with? And he was like, well, what are your grades like? And I was like, 
my grades. I was like, my grades are okay. Why? He says, well, here's the deal. He goes, if you can show me your report card, every time you get a report card and you have good grades, I'll tell you, I'll show you how to power lift for real. I'll take you to power lifting meets. I'll get you in a bench press shirt. I'll show you. This is obviously 2007. So, you know, bench press shirts were like the thing. So, um, you know, I was like, absolutely, whatever I got to do. He's like, just do me a favor. Don't ever flake on me. Don't ever be late for a training session. Always show up, you know, and always be committed. And I'll never charge you a dime. And I will show you how to do this powerlifting thing. So I was like, I'm sold. So I'm, me and him started training together multiple times a week. Um, and he took me to my first meet out in Venice Beach, California. Um, got started with that with the USPF. Um, did a couple of USPF meets. Did like the nationals. Um, ended up doing the world meet. Um, which was pretty cool. That was all single ply back then. I wasn't really familiar with multi ply yet. He was a single ply bench only lifter. He did a little bit of multi ply. He was getting ready for the Arnold at the time that I met him um, mm-hmm. for the uh, the WPO. And uh, his name was Corey Dexter, by the way. If you guys are familiar with him at all, he was like a 220, 242 lifter uh, bench only guy. He was in like the mid 700s uh, bench, but real inspiring mm-hmm. for me um, as a as a young kid. That's what got me into lifting. Um, and then, um, around 2000, 2009, 2010, I got, um, in touch with a, uh, tiny Meeker, tiny Meeker. Actually, I, I met him at the, um, at the Mr. Olympia expo and me and him hit it off right away. And he invited me to the Wobdo world championship. So I went out Wobdo uh, a few years in a row <clears throat> again, single ply the first couple of years. And the last year I did it was when I branched into multi-ply, uh, I got into the, um, you know, the double fly shirts and trying the heavier material and, you know, um, just working in, uh, trying to handle like heavier and heavier weights, kind of getting used to the idea that, you know, um, my body was, or my, my mind and my goals were a lot more like than what my, my raw maxes were. And that that's where I wanted to go, like gear and equipped and using more equipment, getting into multi-ply was kind of where I wanted to go. So, um, after that, um, you know, uh, just continued to uh, to compete, um, and then a couple of years after that was kind of like when the raw movement came along, and uh, there wasn't really much competition for me um, in uh, in equipped and uh, even in single fly. Like I would go to meets and I would go to like the world championships or nationals, and there would be like zero competitors in my weight class. So I was like, shit, you know. So I had I literally had to go to raw at one point there, and I was doing um, even like full meets raw just to have like competition uh for a little while there um but then in my uh uh, mid mid 20s or so i decided that i wanted to kind of go back to my roots and i wanted to try to rebuild the community that i grew up in so what i actually ended up doing is i made the multiply powerlifting facebook page and i tried to get out there a little bit and i tried to get in touch with other um like other lifters you know other people that were doing what i was doing you know when i was growing up which, you know, ended up kind of blowing up and, you know, we got, got almost like 4,000 people on there now and, um, really just kind of expanded my, uh, um, I guess my knowledge that other lifters like myself exist. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I think, so, uh, so that's kind of where I'm at now. I think you probably made that group at the right time. It was when, you know, equipped lifting was starting to regain a little bit of traction like you, I, you know, started back in the, the early two thousands when, equipped was all it was um and certainly there was a time there in the you know the mid 2010s when it was like if you met an equipped lifter at a meet it was extraordinary Mm -hmm. 
So yeah. let, let, let's back up just a little bit, Hunter. Why don't you uh, tell us some of like the basics, uh, where you're from, uh, any info on your family you'd like to share, um, anything you do outside of powerlifting, kind of some of the, the background stuff, and then we can dive back into our powerlifting stuff. Yeah, definitely. So, um, well, I was born and raised in Chicago, um, well, Chicago, like suburbs area, actually. My, my dad's from Aurora, and then my mom's from Naperville. Um, okay. I lived there um, until just before high school, and then I moved out to Las Vegas. Um, spent quite a few of my adult years in Las Vegas, um, and then I kind of bounced around a little bit. Lived in Reno for a year, um, you know, Vegas went to Chicago back and forth. Yeah, yeah, the little, the little Vegas, basically. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a little yep. ghetto Vegas. But what's nice about Reno is it's only, you know, a short drive from Lake Tahoe, which is beautiful. So yes. that was, that was kind of cool. But, um, yeah, I lived in Chicago again uh, for a year, tried that, decided, you know, that that, that wasn't really for me. Came back to Vegas, uh, got together with um, my wife. And uh, her and I actually spent uh, the last four and a half years out in Minneapolis, uh, which was awesome, awesome experience. That was a really great learning experience for myself with the powerlifters I was around and just the people I was able to learn from and, you know, really just grow as a human being there, which was cool. So then we got the opportunity to come back out here to Vegas, uh, which is where her mom and grandma are, which is who raised her. So we're back out here now just uh, enjoying the warm weather. Sure. And where, where specifically in Vegas are you guys at? Are you in Henderson or, or where are you at? So I am on the east side, and then okay. her parents are on the far north, uh, north side, North Vegas. Okay. And where where do you train at in Vegas? Uh, right now, I'm at uh, Micah Moreno's gym, which is Fight or Quit. Um, yeah. Or um, my wife actually works for Lifetime, so I'm actually at Lifetime like four days a week because um, okay. they have the kid. The kid center has like a two hour uh, time thing. It's you know for you know for us, they just take him and. You know, we can just book it on our phone, like, whenever I want to. So for, like, workouts right. and stuff in the morning, it's super convenient for me to just take in there, go upstairs, and then if they need me, they just text me, and I come right downstairs. You know, the convenience factor is mainly the reason I'm there as often as I am. Sure. So, oh, you know, my boy uh, my boy Mark over there at uh, Fighter Quit. Um, Fighter Quit's a great club. I mean, they have a super strong lifters. I mean, they got, like, young kids that are barely 20 years old, almost squatting, like, 700 raw, walked out, like, Mm-hmm. Like it, young teenage girls that are pulling 500 pounds raw, that lift like within their first couple of years of lifting, like just crazy stuff over there, like su- yeah. stupid strong and very nice people. And they have a very diverse uh, mix all the way from like raw, raw, all the way to unlimited. Like there's a couple of us, there's three of us in band shirts, a couple of mm-hmm. them, a uh, couple of people that are uh, world champion single ply lifters and then a ton of raw. So Sure. So it sounds like you not you've got wife and I you talked about kid zone so some kids as well Hunter. <laughs> yeah, so I got my wife Rainy and then my son Emmett. Uh, he's a year and a half old. Um, okay. They're uh, outside of uh, lifting. That's that's my whole world. Like my son is uh, my my twenty four seven. He's you know always glued to my armpit type deal. Um, when when he was born uh, was right when when COVID kind of all went down and we were all forced to stay at home. And my wife, she's a workaholic. So immediately when she got the opportunity to go back to work, she went and she was like, you just stay with him. You know, childcare is a crazy situation right now. Just, so that's what ended up happening. And so, uh, me and him just grew this, you know, this insane bond. So it's, that's been, you know, um, a a huge driving force for me and a a major motivator for me, you know, just being a dad and, and having him, you know, as a, you know, just like a daily inspiration. Okay, cool. So you talked a little bit about uh, how you got involved in powerlifting. 
Can you talk a little bit about your first meet experience? You, you mentioned it was a USPF meet in Venice Beach, I believe. Yeah, Venice Beach. So that was cool. It was actually hosted by a guy named Joe Wheatley. And uh, he. it was a funny coincidence. So I went to weigh in on the scale, and I weighed about 108 pounds. And he says, hey, kid, do me a favor. Grab a five-pound plate and put it between your legs and come back here. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, grab a five-pound plate from over there. So I grabbed a five-pound plate and I walked back to the scale. He said, put it between your legs and step back on the scale because i got to register you for the 114-pound weight class. <laughs> so he's basically <laughs> making a joke pretty much. You know, I was too small, too small to even be in the lightest weight class. But uh, um, that, was, that was a great time. You know, uh, Corey taught me a lot. Um, in the very beginning, just about, you know, having, uh, uh, like a raw base to work with and then, you know, utilizing, you know, the equipment to the best of your ability, just trying to learn, you know, for whatever you have. And back then it was, it was single ply, you know, so at the time I was using a, a Titan F6 shirt, you know, so just learning how to use that and you know, learning how to wear it. And, you know, at the time we could, you know, put it on and take it off by yourself. And it was basically like a super tight you know, t-shirt type deal. But, um, yeah, that was a super long meet. We were out there until like nine thirty at night Yikes. and this was in September in 2007. So on the beach. So you're like, we're freezing by the end of the night, but it was, it was a great time. And, uh, you know, I saw some, some crazy lifters and that was the first time I ever saw like squats and deadlifts up close. Um, you know, cause Corey, Corey was a bench only lifter and, you know, I mean, he trained his legs heavy, but he wasn't like, he couldn't really get his hand behind the bar to squat like that. And deadlifting wasn't popular back then. So, you know, it wasn't really a thing until like a few years ago, it really blew up. But like deadlifting wasn't really like, nobody did that back then. So, <laughs> you know, to see that right. close and to see people, you know, pulling huge weights, that's what I was like, man, that's a thing. Like, you know, so I kind of got inspired also, to, to start doing full body stuff after that. Only well, the matter is how much you bench, right? I mean, also. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, especially, you know, being around a bunch of bench-only lifters growing up, too, you know, uh, th that was like my crowd. And a lot of Corey's friends were bench-only lifters, too. You know, good buddies of his were, you know, top-tier bench-only lifters. So that's kind of all I, you know, like, to me, like, squatters were just like these big fat guys. And, you know, like I said, deadlifting wasn't really that, that popular. Bench -only right guys. Now, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but that's just... That's just kind of how it was back then. I don't know. The big benchers were like super jacked and had all this muscle, and the big squatters had like these big barrel bellies. So I was like, I want to be a bencher. I mean, to be fair, I'm also you know five foot eight and two hundred seventy pounds, so that's kind of a thing. Yeah, I can't, I can't appreciate that. So hey, all the uh, weight's got to go somewhere, man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, I, it is what it is. But you know, now we're all totally shredded, right? That's definitely how it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. So, so you talk about how you got into powerlifting in your first meet experience. Uh, can you give us a best lesson competition uh, all the way across? How long have you done? You know, single ply, some multi, definitely some unlimited. What were your best lesson competition? Um, so I've competed across the board. I've done anywhere from sleeves to wraps to single ply, uh, double ply, unlimited. Um, as far as best lifts go, uh, I have a 507 squat, 452 bench, and a, a 512 deadlift. Um, conventional. I don't. I don't pull sumo. Just personal preference. Not hating on anyone. That's just. That's like a personal rule for me. Is I'll pull conventional. So, but um, squatting. Um, I've I've only really done a couple of like real squat preps. I'm just. I've never been super like inspired to uh, to push myself for that long of a period of time in the squat. Usually because like 
I haven't had, you know, uh, honestly the teams and spotters and, and stuff like that for, uh, for long periods of time. Like I've kind of bounced around and moved and things like that. When I finally get in with a good team, I'll get like a couple good, uh, good seasons into to squat and, you know, uh, get it up a little bit. And then, you know, things change. I'm training by myself again. And I just, I don't know. I don't have the same mental, uh, uh, capacity to, to push myself like I do with the bench and the deadlift is heavy because bench and heavy and deadlift and heavy is, is I feel like it's pretty easily on you mentally versus like squatting a shitload of weight, especially something you've never done before. It's definitely not something you want to do by yourself. Agree. Well, I'll tell you the uh, the world's best spotter is out in Vegas quite a bit. So you throw that out there. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes, yes. A little self promotion there. Yes, I. So quick segue. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Anthony Obica and his team out there at uh, Back Alley Barbell. Uh, so I'm really just a little bit. So a little bit. I, I go out there quite a quite a bit. Usually, I would say during the pandemic, I've been out to Vegas probably half or gosh, now a dozen times. Uh, so it's, it's been a lot. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get together and get some training sessions in there and stuff like that. I've, I've just seen him a little bit on Instagram, and I've been told uh, about him and that uh, they do multiply lifting over there at that club. So I'm definitely gonna have to check him out because you, you know I'm, I'm big on them. Yeah, I'm kind of a nomadic powerlifter in the sense of like, you know, I don't really have like a set group per, per se, but I do really like to to learn and, and gain as much as I can. Like when I was in Minneapolis, I was training with Team Nemesis, and they actually mm-hmm. took me in as, as one of their own and announced that I was a, a team member, which meant a lot to me because that's something that definitely had to be earned. They're a, uh, a tight-knit group and, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're like a family, so to, to be in with them was really cool and to to gain knowledge from them was awesome. So anybody else I can learn from and, you know, anything that I haven't seen, you know, I'm, I'm all, I'm all about, I'm definitely one of those lifters that uh, accepts that their things are ever changing and that, you know, you can always learn more or have a different perspective on something that you already know. Like I've, I've been told the same information like five, six, seven different times, but sometimes watching it on a particular lifter or hearing it said a certain way is, is really when it clicked and, all of a sudden, the same advice I've been getting for years now makes mm-hmm. sense, based just because of that one individual. So, yep, it's that it's that one different cue, it's that one different way, like different way that it's said, or a different emphasis on something else that mm-hmm. is, can be all the difference. And uh, and definitely, Team Nemesis, they're they're awesome. You know, we're Dr. Fred's a, a big friend uh, of the show, and uh, Eric and I have had him on before. I think it's about time to have him on again, Eric. By the way, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So but anyway, sure. I think uh, so. So. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was going to say, so it sounds like you've talked about some of the like the, the major influences you've had in the sport. Um, maybe talk a little bit about what kind of training style you've gleaned from all these various gyms and teams and individuals that you've trained with. What Are you following a, a linear progression? Or are you following a conjugate style program? Um, what kind of training have you done through the years? Well, it kind of bounced around depending on who I was kind of getting my tutelage from. In the very beginning, um, there were certain things in the magazines that Corey and I picked out that were conjugate style. That was information that was Louis was putting out there, but it wasn't necessarily like even like talked about as like West Side or conjugate or having like a particular like set program. It was more just like, hey, here's this stuff that exists. Like use it in your training, like board presses, for instance. Like mm-hmm. the first time I ever saw a board press, it was in Corey's garage by accident. We were painting the inside of the garage. And he had boards uh, that were um, basically on like a, a little strap that you would hook around your, your your back and your ribs, and you could anchor it down for board pressing by yourself, basically. 
And, uh, you know, he had, uh, like holes drilled in it. So you could, you know, put more or less boards. And I asked him, I said, what's with that wood, man? And he says, Oh, you put it on your chest for bench pressing. And I'm like, okay. So he showed me how to do it and like distance and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, you know, I read about it in this powerlifting USA magazine. And then, you know, we all started doing it in the gym and we realized that you could work on the thickened points. And, you know, if you're weak, your bar stops at a certain area. You just put the board, you know, one, one spot down from there. And then you can learn, learn to work through that, through that spot. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Same thing with chains. That was a total accident. I was at uh, American Iron Gym in Reno, and there was sets of chains laying on the floor and bands and stuff like that. And I I, I spent a, a couple weeks uh, training with this guy named Chad Ikes. He was a big squatter, big bencher. He hit a huge total at the WPO and, uh, mm-hmm. back in the day against Andy Bolton. Um, but he kind of taught me a little bit about like the purpose of a band or a chain. And he's like, yeah, man, when you're lifting, it makes you go down faster which will make you come up faster. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah. If you go down faster, you come up faster. And I'm like, ah, that just sounds like a quick way to snap my shit up, man. He's like, no, no, trust me. Like, just sit back on the box, put it all in the back of your legs. And he goes, just go down as quickly as you can. And I swear you'll come back up. So, I mean, just learning like bits and pieces and stuff like that. So it wasn't necessarily like, okay, here's a program. This is what you do. It was more just like, okay, here's some of the tools. Like, this is how you use them. So as I got older, I, that's just kind of how I did it. I just randomly built my own programs. I guess you could say linear in the sense that, like, I I gradually tried to work up week over week in a meat prep and, and add weight as I got closer to the meat. But it wasn't because, like, the program was built that way. It was more just because, like, I knew I had to lift more weight by the time I got to the meat and I was like X amount strong now and I wanted to be X amount strong by the meat. That just means like 10, five or 10, 15 pounds or whatever each week. So I just would pick those weights. I would load the bar and I was a lucky enough person to where like it, the weights just continued to go up throughout the course of my, my lifting career. And I never really had to like go back and like look at the drawing board and say like, okay, what do I need to change? Cause it was, I just like, I made progress. And that worked for a long time. It wasn't really until uh, I, I started getting more into um, like the advanced equipment that I really had to start focusing on my training because it was more so like the amount of weight that I was lifting that forced me to have to figure out, like use my head more in my training because I couldn't recover as quickly. I was more beat up. I couldn't go in week over week and just lift and go to my max anymore because it would just beat the shit out of me. It would, you know, I, or I couldn't do it. Like my joints would hurt. So I was like, man, I got to figure out a better, better way to start doing this. So learning ways to, you know, kind of taper off or back off or have like, um, uh, wave type weeks where you, where you start low, gradually kind of build up, hit something heavy and then take a little bit of time off and then switch the variation. Um, I'm a big fan of that. Like Louie talked about doing like a three week wave with a particular variation and then doing, uh, you know, switching it up, changing it to something different. I found a lot of progress when I started doing that. So I would say that, like, if I had a particular training style or something that I would recommend, or if you're asking, like, what's my what's my go-to, I would probably say that, yeah, like a, a three-week wave of, of particular movement, like whatever you're trying to work on, um, build up on that each week over three weeks, and then after three weeks, change it to a different, uh, different variation. Okay. Interesting stuff. Um, let's, uh, let's get into kind of maybe the topic at hand. Um, not that, of course, we don't want to hear about all your lifting experience that, uh, I mean, you've got a long history in the sport, but, uh, you're, you're a big proponent of, uh, what we'll call band shirts. 
So talk about when were you first introduced to uh, what is now commonly referred to as a band shirt? Uh, when I believe when Will Barati broke the world record was when, uh, or no, that's a lie. That's a lie. That came out a little bit afterwards. I'd say the first time I ever heard about it was from Ryan Canelli. Ryan Canelli was started talking about uh, him utilizing the bands in training. Um, and then uh, Will came out and broke the record. And then uh, Tiny and I are very close. So Tiny called me and he's like, hey, man, did you see this? I'm like, yeah. He sent me the video. And we were like, man, what's he, what's he wearing? What's this and that? So we're trying to figure out, you know, what the deal is with the different types of band shirts. Because in the beginning, there was, um, you know, a couple other manufacturers out there that, you know, um, uh, we're trying to do uh, what Rob does now and just weren't really nailing it. Um, and then yeah. Rob came out with his and just completely changed. Uh, Rob Farrell. Uh, yes, Rob Farrell. Uh, uh, F8 Customs or Fate Customs or whatever you want to say it. Uh, you know, um, he uh, completely revolutionized uh, these quote-unquote band shirts. Cause, you know, there was, like I said, there was a couple other ones out there. Well, there was Mike right, Womack. One. Mike Womack has been selling them for a while. I think he was maybe the first one to do it. But uh, yeah. I, from what I understand, no personal experience, uh, the ability to get those shirts was very, very, very difficult to impossible. In the beginning, yes. And uh, in, in talking with the, like, even trying to communicate and get the phone numbers and, like, get in touch with people who made them. Like, even for myself, like, trying to get a hold of Rob and get a shirt or, like, find out what, how to get one size or... You know, in the very beginning, it was a little bit difficult. Um, but once I got in touch with him, and once I um, went to Bad Adventures, and, and things kind of went the way they did there, things changed a bit. And I was able to uh, get in touch with who I needed to, and now it's a little bit easier to, to get the equipment I need. Okay, yeah. And Rob Farrell, F8 Customs, uh, he was out here for the WPO last year, and Ben and I both met him. He competed um, at the WPC mm-hmm. Worlds, so we're both uh, both familiar with him. Yeah, he's a cool dude, and he's strong. Like, you know, that's the thing. He's like, shit. <laughs> yeah, people try to say stuff about, like, his thousand pound bench or whatever, and I'm like, I don't know. If you ever meet Rob in person, like, he's pretty jacked. Like, <laughs> So it was funny. He, uh, I saw him at the WPO this year in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. He was finishing his cut, and I told him, like, I mean, he had, he had a great T-shirt on. I'm like, I'm not going to lie, dude. You, you might be the juiciest motherfucker here. Like, he was absolutely <laughs> jacked. Uh, and then, of course, when he filled back out after he was done with his cut and weighed in, I'm like, holy shit, man. Uh, and then, you know, given my, my spot as the, the you know, back spotter at the WPO, like, I see all these people up close and personal. I'm like, holy shit, man. He, he basically had, like, G.I. Joe shoulders. It, like, you know, you see on the old active figures back in the day. Uh, yeah. Even more so than a lot of the other guys, which is, which is you know, kind of, a, kind of crazy. Uh, so, speaking of the band shirts, because I think these are – there's controversy around them, I think, for a, a couple of reasons. One, because of just uh, the look. Like, people think they're kind of weird looking. But two, the, obviously, there is there is more weight that you can handle with these shirts. Can you talk about a little of the difference in poundage that, that you've been able to handle in, like, the traditional polys versus the uh, the band shirts? Uh, for me, it's, it's more just I've, I found, like, control off the bottom end. Uh, the lockout, <laughs> I mean, it's give and take. For me, I mean, it's very, like, I wouldn't say similar poundages towards the lockout, but it's, like, closer numbers, like, than it is, like, off the bottom. Because a band, if you can nail it right, you can get that nasty pop off the bottom that the other shirts, can't, they can't give you that. 
you know, especially because you're in such a compromised position to touch in the traditional multi-fly shirts. More times than not that you're rounded, you're tucking, you know, uh, and you have to, to kind of kick back and throw your head back to get back under that bar, you know, versus like in a band, you're already elbows out, chest already up. So if you're touching properly in that band, you're already in that, that proper position where you're already under that bar and in that proper uh, leverage point where, you, where that bar starts moving. You know, uh, I feel like you're just in a lot better position to, to get a lot better drive and end up moving that weight. So, yeah, it is the material, but it's also the position it allows you to, to get in as well and not be so compromised toward the bottom. Because if you tuck in a band shirt, you're fucked. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So what what is your best bench? And maybe now you're stronger than you were at that point. What's your best bench in, say, a traditional poly bench? Uh, bench shirt versus you said your best bench now is uh, in 451. A, in a, so USPA me with the three commands, I did a 375 and that was after the 500 squat. Okay. So I squatted five that day, um, which USPA depth, I don't know if you're aware, like in a multi-plus suit, there was, <laughs> that was an interesting, uh, that was an interesting ball game. But uh, yeah, so the 375 bench uh, was my best in a traditional, uh, traditional shirt. And then I went into uh the double ply, the two ply Rob Farrell shirt, and I hit that 452. Um, the difference, though, I weighed about 142 when I benched 375 in the traditional shirt, and I weighed 130 exactly when I did the 452 in the band shirt. That was bench only, however. Uh, the the so the, the 451 the, or 452. That was push pull. I oh, pulled okay. 512 that day as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. So you, you've talked so a little any, bit. About- Oh, go ahead, Ben. Uh, I was saying we, we we hit on some of the, the differences. Any other, and you may even get ready to say this, Eric. Any other major differences do you see with those band and the person the poly shirts? Um, wear and tear is a lot different, um, and it's uh, it's a different way. So, like, you're able to handle more poundage, which puts your CNS through more stress, and it puts your bones through more stress. But there's less grinding on the shoulders, and there's less like rub and wear and tear on your skin and like irritation so like training in your band shirt if you're smart about it like and you pick your right numbers you can actually do it more often and uh and train with heavier weights more frequently and not get as beat up versus like a traditional shirt if you're getting in that thing all the time like your arms are going to get torn up you're going to get scars you're going to get like your shoulders are going to be wrecked like your joints are going to hurt you know uh for me personally i'm able to train in the uh uh, the band and uh, and feel like the soreness is in different spots now, but it's it's in a better way. Like, yeah, my bones are sore because I'm under more weight, but that's just because I'm under more weight. Like, my shoulders aren't wrecked like they were in a traditional shirt, and then my back and my arms are getting all scarred up from the material. So you said you can train in it more often. How often are you putting on a – when you're in meat prep maybe and versus maybe off-season, quote-unquote, how often are you getting in your shirt? Um, well, I would say right now I'm getting in it about every third week or so, uh, in the full shirt because I have different levels of it. Like I have the insert, which is a one ply, and then I have my two ply, which is the blue. And then I have a triple ply, which is my red. I go all the way up to the triple ply every third week or so. Okay. Yeah. And then I usually taper in. So like I'll do a week where I'll kind of push my raw a little bit, where I'll kind of work up to, 
you know, where my, 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 my chest is feeling a little spicy on the raw, you know, nothing like a max max, but a set where it was like, okay, I had to kind of work for that, you know, and then I'll put my band, a single ply band on, do a couple sets like that and then shut it down, do my accessories. And the following week, I'll usually go up to my two ply, try to work some good reps up. And then after that, you know, usually is when I'll, I'll throw the triple ply on the following week and try to do something nasty off the board. Okay. Yeah, I know, Bane, I think you handed off to someone using a band shirt at the 9-11 meet. Um, uh, I did. Okay. Uh, a few people, actually, yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the difference in handing off with a band shirt, and then we can circle back with Hunter, and maybe he can talk about the differences in, you know, the setup yeah. and the load? And, and this may be a preference of those lifters that I was working with. And so, Hunter, you're, you know, I definitely welcome your opinion on this. But the folks that I was hanging off to had been in the shirt. And in, to be fair, one of them was also you know, Scott Mendelson. So I would say someone who at least is a very famous name. Uh, you know, all these guys, as they were setting up for these banded presses, were, were sitting up open-handed, which was very unique uh, because of the way they had to get set up. And... The biggest difference I saw was after the handoff, the way that the shirt would load was very, very different than what I've seen in a poly shirt. And, and so, Hunter, I definitely would love to hear your your take on that from the lifter's perspective. But also, I thought the open palm until the bar was actually out to starting position, and then they would close their hand, was a very unique sit- setup and situation. So, again, maybe unique to that group, but it was every single one that was doing it. So, I thought that was very, very interesting. I've seen that done. And I think I know why they're doing it, but I, I don't personally do that. I set my arms one at a time, and I kind of crank myself in, and I dig myself in the bench like I'm kind of digging myself in the sand first because I like to feel a little bit of the weight in the rack to, like, set my back properly and, and get myself kind of dug in. I know that Rob doesn't teach that. Rob teaches them to, like, you know, uh, pull the shoulders back, get set, like keep the elbows in, and then have the spotter completely hand the weight out with them like almost like uh, not taking any of the weight themselves out of the rack until the, you know, the bars completely handed to them. I don't really bench like that myself because I've trained, you know, on and off by myself for a a long time. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't necessarily like, I'm not super comfortable with that type of a handout. So I haven't gotten the opportunity to train like that. If it helps the shirt more that I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it does to some degree if they're, if they're all doing it, but I haven't had an opportunity to, to, to take advantage of that or, or learn that uh, that technique. But as far as how the shirt loads, yeah, I would absolutely agree it's different. Like, as I was saying before with the, the, the elbow position and tucking and chest position and things like that, like the band shirt, it, it loads outward. You want to spread the band apart. So, like, the, the elbows typically, like in a good banded shirt bench, the elbows are out pretty wide. Interesting. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you're familiar with, obviously, the poly shirts, and it, it varies. Yeah. I mean, if you go all the way back to the old-school denims, it was a very, very low touch point, almost a belly bench, um, and more of mm-hmm. that kind of like lifting the head and throwing it back versus at least the, the, the modern polys that I've used, like the SDP, is more of a maybe because it has a more flexible touch point. Um, it's definitely an elbows tuck position, but it's not nearly – as low of a tuck point as a uh, touch point as like a denim. And I personally do not lift and throw my head back. I'm not a fan of that. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it sounds like it's definitely a different load when you're using a banded shirt. I would say that shirt's more similar. The, the SDP is the fact that it's like stretchy springing like material. 
um, you know, if you're pretty confident in that shirt and that, I mean, you know, uh, I, I don't feel like the transition would be that, that terrible. And that, you know, putting your elbows out just totally scares you, freaks you out. Sure. Sure. So let's get into maybe, uh, you've talked about, you know, your experience. Let's maybe get into a little bit of opinion on, you know, pro and con. Um, I have been <laughs> fairly vocal in my opinion, at least against the APF WPC and adopting these types of shirts. Um, I, I mean, I don't really care what other organizations do, and I think there's probably, like anything, there's probably a niche in the marketplace for different styles of, of lifting, just like there's single-ply organizations, and there's, you know, uh, you know, raw with sleeves, and there's IPF-style lifting. All that's fine. Um, but and I guess just before, I, before you dive in, Eric, I do yes. want to just preface this as folks are listening. Hunter was sent all these questions and all, all kind of Eric's stances prior to this, so we're not like ambushing him as we're doing this. I don't want people to think like we're being shitty. Um, oh, no, know, no. This is just we, all, all talking points for discussion. Yeah, all, com- all conversational, exactly. So yeah. I just want to be very clear on that. But, like, some people think that people are assholes because just there are other assholes out there. And, yeah. Well, Eric is an asshole. He runs a great meet, and he has <laughs> decent opinions on this. So. No, I just want to talk I did about his meet. I did his meet in 2008. Great time. There was a lot of awesome lifters there. Sean Frankel, Rob Leondo, people like that. No they doubt. Cool time, FYI. Yeah, cool. So I, I'll just go through the reason in which I would vote against it, um, at least okay. if I had a vote for it. Um, the first is that the band shirts are rubber and that they're not made of a fabric, which is traditionally what's been used in powerlifting equipment. Um, and I, I guess my feeling is that rubber is not necessarily an advancement. It's just, you know, you're taking what is a knee wrap material and fashioning it to something similar to a shirt um at least for us the rule book and the apf wp and when i say us i mean apf wpc um that's at least the way our rule book is written currently is that it needs to be a fabric material not a rubber material question for you though if that's the standard though do you think that rubberized knee wrap should be uh taken out of the squat then so that it's even playing field with rubberized material across the board uh, I don't because that's always been allowed. I mean, knee wraps have always been allowed to have a rubber, rubberized material in them. That's nothing new. Um, from the time that it was ace bandage, there was rubberized material in it. So, sure, fair point. There's rubber in knee wraps. Um, and just because something has always been done that way is not necessarily a reason for it. Um, I've got a couple other reasons that dovetail onto that, but I guess... If that's the question, sure, should we get rid of rubber and knee wraps? I'd say no, because we've always allowed that as a stretch of material on the knees. Gotcha, gotcha. I was just curious because that's, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're using rubber in, in a bench shirt. We didn't allow this in the bench shirt before, you know, but there's been, like I said, like with the, the, the reason I bring up rubber in the, the knee wraps is there's been a lot of advancements in, in other lifts, like, for instance, the squat where the suit changed quite a bit went from you know even the polyester material to the canvas material which you know if anybody's put the two, those two suits on there's there's quite a tremendous difference there you know so i would i would consider this to be a similar advancement that was not given to the bench press it's now given to the bench press to kind of make that you know um a higher level uh, of playing field as well so just like the squat was given a lot of uh, a lot of love and time and a lot of thought went into those suits uh you know the bench shirts you know they've been very similar like material for a long time just different cuts. 
So I think it was a good time to uh, to bring in some different type of advancements. You know, the the, the rubber has has its give and take, like you're saying, but I think it was definitely time for something new uh, to come into the world of bench pressing for sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate your, uh, your thoughts on it and your opinion on it. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree, but I do think you make a fair point and that certainly the amount of stuff for an equipped squad is a lot. Like, I mean, when you consider that you can wear briefs and a suit and knee wraps, like there's a lot of stuff on your body when you're squatting. I mean, you've got usually with a multi-ply lifter, four plies of material on your hips and knee wraps on your knees, in addition to straps that provide um, assistance. So sure, I mean, there, there definitely is a lot more equipment uh, allowed, at least as far as like sheer amount of material on a squat versus a, versus a bench, and certainly than a deadlift. Right. And my, my whole perspective with the multiply thing, just to, just to kind of go into that a little bit more, sure. as far as like my, my perspective on that, like the reason I got into multiply was because there wasn't really any rules. It was kind of like old West days. It's like show up. If you can lift the most weight from point A to point B, like that's all that matters. So that's what really attracted me. So that that's kind of what, what sparked my interest in the, in the new style of shirts as well. Cause it's exactly why I got into multiply lifting. It was like, this is stuff that's going to allow me to put this on and, and, and go warp speed. You know what I mean? There was no, there was no hindrance. There's nothing holding you back anymore. You know, so this, I feel like it's an additional advancement, which is exactly what, what I feel multiply is, is all about. It's about putting something on and, you know, just being able to, as long as you got the balls and, you know, the, the good, you know, mind muscle coordination, you know, you, you should be able to get the job done. Sure. I mean, well, but uh, go ahead, man. I've, I've talked a lot. <laughs> well, no, I was, I was going to do one of my normal day things. So I jumped in with something silly. First of all, uh, two adults disagree. Shouldn't you all be like calling each other names and screaming terrible things <laughs> to each other right now? That's usually how, how adults do things nowadays, right? Or we'll do it on the internet later. That's, that's how everybody does it. Perfect. Um, I, I kid. Uh, and then also having the balls to do it. Of course, we all know, multi, you know, multi-pad lifters don't have any balls because they take all that stuff. So their balls are gone. So, uh, Both? you know, as, as the, <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I kid. I think to your point, Eric, uh, both are valid points because Hunter, I see where, where you're coming from, where the shirt is, is another evolution. I don't know if it's the next evolution, but it's another evolution of equipment. Um, because again, you look at, you've got, new construction, you've got new cuts, you've got a new thought process around one of the lists that probably hasn't gotten the same amount of attention over the last few years. I see Eric's point as well, where ultimately the, at least from APFWPC standpoint, rubber was never allowed to be part of the, the ventures because they, there was concern around that. And whether it was, you know, basically taking knee sleeves and, or knee graphs and turning it into ventures, what have you. So I understand both sides. I think both are very valid points. It's honestly, the horrors we want to have the conversation is it's now that there is a binary, like 100% yes or no is like, this is a world that is colliding right now, the unlimited world and the multiply world and understanding how they're going to coexist. Does that, that make sense to you both? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I get your point. I mean, I would agree with you, Hunter. That's what your sentiment of like, Hey, put on as much stuff as you can and lift as much as you can. I generally agree with that sentiment. And that's why I also like equipped lifting. Um, but there has to be a limit somewhere, right? Like there's going to be like, we don't allow suits to go beyond mid thigh. We don't allow knee wraps greater than three meters. 
we don't allow the sleeves of the shirt to go beyond the elbow. We don't allow elbow wraps on the bench, for instance. So, like, there is a line somewhere. You and I might disagree on where that line should be, but certainly we both agree, like, there is a point in which, you know, you can't wear a full body suit. You can't wear a shirt with sleeves that go to mid-forearm. So the disagreement between you and I might be, like, where is that line, correct? Well, I look at it on performance and just, like, what's realistic. So, like, I view it like this. Like, when I was growing up, the big benchers, like, I knew, they had shirts that went up to, like, six, seven ply. And these shirts weighed, like, 15 pounds, dude. So now for me to look at a two-layer Pharrell shirt, I'm like, like, if that's going to let me push more weight than that six or seven ply from 10, 12 years ago, like, hell yeah, I'm going to put on that two-layer of this material that's cut properly that actually works. Because that's the thing I look at. I look at performance. You know, it's kind of like a buying a new car or something like that. You know, it's like everybody was using a particular type of car, a particular level of car, and then this new level car comes out, and it's like, whoa, 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 that's cheating. You can't use that type of car. Well, it's like, well, it's still a car, and it's, it's going faster than your cars. You know, that's kind of how I feel about these new level benchers. It's like... It's a piece of equipment that's not raw that you put on to allow you to lift more weight and not get hurt, which is like the purpose of equipment. But it's more advanced in the sense that you don't have to wear as many layers. It's easier to get on and take off. You don't have a whole team to put you on and take you out of it. It doesn't scar you. And you're allowed to, to do it, more, like I said, more often and lift more weight, you know, in the same plane of motion. So it's not taking you out of your normal groove. It's not putting you in a, uh, a jeopardizing, you know, plane of motion, but it's allowing you to lift more weight. So to me, like that's that's progression and advancement. Like, yeah, it's different material, but it's better material because it's allowing people to lift more weight than they could in the old material. So like from a performance standpoint, from a guy who just looks at like, hey, man, I don't care what I have to wear. I just want to lift the most weight possible, like whatever it takes just to get under that weight and just feel it and take it for a ride. That's what I'm going to put on. So like, if that happens to be what allows, like if something better comes out next year and it blows this shirt away, but it allows me to bench a hundred more pounds than what I can do in this, I'm going to put that on. You know what I mean? I don't care. Like if there's literally springs in the shirt of, you know, of that shirt and they say, Oh man, there's literal springs in that, but it, it allows me to bench a thousand pounds. Dude, I'm going to put that shirt on, and I'm going to bench that thousand pounds. <laughs> like, you so know, that's just like that vibe. I, I, I can't necessarily disagree with that. I, not about being in competition because it's not legal, but I can't necessarily disagree with the sentiment. Well, uh, yeah. so would you say you don't think there is a line? Whatever, the, like whatever it takes. Well, I mean, why not put elbow wraps on them when you bench? Yeah, and so again, just playing devil's raw, advocate, Hunter. Yes, I would say do. Yes, okay. So here's my here's my thought on this. If you are a raw lifter. Lift within the, the the standards of your 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 uh, you know your raw community. If you're a single fly lifter, lifted one true layer of material, not a folded over shirt that's four times folded over in the neckline that makes it a four or five ply and then a single ply in the chest. It's not a real single ply. What I'm talking about is you know if you're if you're in a particular category, lift to that category. So for me, multi ply is multiple layers of material. So that means. You know, that's basically like the unlimited category for me. Like, yes, you know, uh, here. OK, so I'll, I'll take a step back and say, do I think that the original multiply records 
should be touched by the new Dancer uh, record, you know, this might shake a few feathers, but no, I, I think it should be a new category. I think there should be a new class of records. Oh. I think that everybody who set the original records in those shirts should have their records marked in stone. Like, okay, this is the record for this era. Just like we have in baseball, just like we have in football, just like their records are for their particular era of their sport. You know, so you got to look at the years that it's been done in. Just like we don't look at 1980 squatters and benchers and compare it to the benchers of today because we know that the equipment was different back then. So we don't compare the two. We don't say, oh, you know, if so-and-so benches, you know, 600 in a multi-ply shirt, that's just like so-and-so benching 600 in the 70s. Like, no no way, bro. That 600 in the 70s <laughs> guy is going to eat you alive. Like, <laughs> basically raw sure. at that point. So. I, I that, think... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think all three of us can probably agree with that sentiment that it probably should be – whether we should be think it should be allowed or not, I think it's going to be allowed somewhere. I think we all can probably agree. Separate it makes, category, Harvard. It makes sense to categorize them separately. Oh, I have, two, I have two opinions on this, though. Okay, so here's the thing. Do I – like, when you start talking about records and you start talking about what's, what's been done – so, like, say, for instance, if somebody went to an APF, WPO, WPC meet, and they allowed these new shirts, right? Just mm-hmm. just throw that out there. And somebody broke a record, right? I would say it would be smart for the APF, WPC, to continue to have the record books that they have, but then open up a new division for these new class of lifters, but allow them to, you know to talk about the fact that they've superseded what's been done in the past. So celebrate. So say, for instance, like if it's an all-time record, like the heaviest weight ever done in a particular class, that should be put in the record books because it's the heaviest weight ever done. But if it's a federation record or something like that, you know, I mean, like from my personal opinion, it should be separated. Like, okay, if you did it in a band shirt, it goes in the band shirt division. If you did it in a two-ply shirt, it goes in the, you know, supply shirt you know division as far as records are concerned but you know with all-time records the federation doesn't keep that anyway that's just an all-time record sure. you know across the board sure. so i think all-time records you know there's nothing we we can sit here and debate with that because it's the most done ever done from point a to point b at a given weight class or whatever so it's the all-time record but as far as like you know federation record or a world record multi-fly world record let's say you know, yeah, they didn't break the multiply world record, but did they break the all-time record bench press? Yes. So that's sure. how I would I would consider it, like classes, you know? Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I think I can generally agree with that. Um, I, I think if you want to look at specific records, you can go to individual organizations. If you want to look at, you know, what the top weight done in the APF, WPC, WPO, you can look at those records. If you want to see the most anybody's done at anything, sure, you can – Look at open powerlifting in that way. Good, good old website records. <laughs> so let me get to my next point, Hunter. And that kind, I, I think your point about, you know, wearing whatever you can to lift the most will connect into my next point. And the next point is that I, I just don't know that you can consider some of these band shirts an actual, quote, shirt. Uh, and and I'll, I'll give you some reasons why. And that's not hating on them. That's just from the definition of what a shirt is. I don't think they always have flush sleeves. Um, they definitely are not flush with the chest. Uh, they tent up often because it is a rubberized material. 
um, at least the APF rulebook, and I know the UPA rulebook used to have this, that the shirt cannot, quote, enhance the natural musculature of the lifter. Uh, and I know that when I pointed that out to Bill Carpenter, he just said, LOL, I'll change the rule book, which, hey, it's his organization, his prerogative to do so. But I guess I don't think that it's a shirt, and you, you might disagree, that's fine. But I guess why go through the, uh, the facade of making a shirt? Why not just wear it like, an, like a slingshot? Like in Russia, they've had something for a number of years called, quote, soft bench press. Like, why make it into a shirt? Why not just wear a straight-up bench daddy slingshot, you know, kill shot from overkill? Um, those aren't as efficient, and they don't work as well. When you build it into a shirt, it, it's like the way that they've done, and you can wrap it around your body and, and lock it in and hold it in place. It, it performs a lot differently. Plus, you can pull the collar down. Like, the one I have actually has a real collar in it. It isn't just a band in the front. So for me, I found that the one that I use, um, I'm able to set the collar similarly to like I used to do in my other my other shirts, you know, and have like a set point for it, um, you know. I mean, so people you... might have their opinions on what it is, but like I don't know. I mean, for me, I just look at it as you know equipment that's available to the lifters. So if it's available, they're they're going to use it. Sure. So from your perspective, it matters less what it looks like. It actually performs better in the way like Rob Frell makes it right now versus, say, you know, a whatever ply bench daddy from like Mike Womack. Yeah, a Formula One car looks really goofy compared to like any street car or a NASCAR, but it performs a lot better. Okay. Uh, you know, and that maybe brings my last point under that is that at least from my perspective, and I am a judge, and I've seen a lot of lifts over the years, I believe the rule, even in organizations that allow band shirts, is that the shirt has to be below the elbow. My cursory glance of many videos of lifters using band shirts is that very quite often the shirt is worn over the elbows. And, and maybe the rule shouldn't be that. Maybe you think that's okay. I, I'm fine with that again. Um, if that's what the rule is, that's what the rule. That's been at least my cursory glance of some people who've worn them is that it often appears that the sh the shirt is being worn over the elbows, which seemingly would even break their own rules. I would personally, I would find that very difficult. I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, I don't know who does uh, personally. I mean, the way that I've always been taught to wear them and to use them is to measure actually from the elbow based on finger distance for, for attempts. So like we have it set, like the way you first put it on is right at the elbow crease. And then you pull back towards your shoulder and measure like by the finger length, uh, and do like two finger, three finger, four finger distance for like each attempt. So for me, like if I were to cover my elbow, I wouldn't be able to get my arms set on the bar for sure. And then if they handed it to me, I definitely wouldn't be able to like perform a rep for sure. So, uh, I mean, I was going to say, do, personal experience. do you get more out of the shirt? The further you pull it up is what you're saying. Um, yes. And no. So if you pull it up higher in my personal experience, higher up the arm, I'm able to get more like less weight to touch easier, but you're going to get less off the tricep obviously as you come up so yeah it's going to touch easier 
but you may not get as much off the top end versus like if you have it real close to your elbow, you're going to need a shitload of weight on there to touch. But if you touch, it's going to fly. Okay. Uh, let me get to my last point, and I think one that, uh, again, you might disagree with me on, and you have more experience in them. Um, From a meat director standpoint, and let's be honest, wearing any kind of equipment is a liability. I mean, wearing open back bench shirts, lifters get injured. I've seen broken forearms. I I, I think one of the – probably the biggest issue I have um, is the liability issue as a meat director. I think – because of the poundages that many people are handling with these shirts, I think it can, for meat directors, become a huge issue if you're going to see people dumping bars towards their face, towards their stomach. It, it, right before we started recording tonight, one of our teammates sent me a, uh, and I don't know who it was, I think it was a female lifter that broke her forearm in a recent meet. Oh, yeah, somebody sent me that too. Rough. And, and, and let's be fair, it happens with regular bench shirts as well. Yep, happens raw. Sure, it happens raw. I think it is more likely to happen in a band shirt versus a traditional band shirt, if for no other reason, just for the amount of poundages people are going to be using with them. And I do think you're missing some of the compression element of tight sleeves on a poly bench shirt. So at least from a meat director perspective, that's something that I would worry about is a higher risk of injury when it comes to especially broken forearms or, I mean, gosh... It, uh, right now, you've got guys benching a thousand. When people optimize these shirts, is someone going to bench eleven, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred? I mean, super impressive. I, I, I take nothing. I take no credit away from the people that do it. But at what point does it become unmanageable for meets to adequately spot the kind of poundages people could be moving? They'll have to make advancements in the spotting. What will happen is, is people, the human nature won't back down and people will continue to want to push the envelope and push numbers. And as records get set and as the number, as those tickets get punched, people are just going to want to push it more and more and more and more and more. And it's just human nature. We're never going to get to a point where we're going to say, oh, that's enough. We're done. That's enough lifting for now. Like it's, it's true. So I, I think honestly, like truth be told, um, you know, if it's not this shirt, it'll be a different shirt or a different piece of equipment. People are going to continue to break records and lift more weight. So I think realistically speaking, if people are going to continue to go that high above their, their raw natural capability, there's just going to have to be more advancements in, in what's available as far as keeping the lifters safe um, and keeping people protected, whether that be more safety guards from the sides, from bench pressing versus what we have now whether that be, you know, some sort of a, a cable system set up where if the weight drops rapidly, it catches a bar from, you know, an instant cable set up. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, but I'm just saying, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. at some point, there's going to have to be advancements other than just, you know, a couple of high school kids that you hope to God are going to catch that half a thousand pounds on their side. Sure. That's a fair point. I think we certainly at our meets do beyond that. But, uh, again, I think about it from a liability yes, perspective yes, as a guy who, you know uh, – writes checks. I just wrote a check to our insurance company for the year for the gym. I, I would worry that an insurance company, if there, I mean, maybe there won't be, you can speak to this. Um, I think there's a plausibility of a higher risk of injury with these shirts. And if an insurance company comes in and sees that all of a sudden there's a higher risk of injury and you have to have some kind of complicated system just in order to spot a local bench press meet, ugh, I just, I don't know that the, the juice would be worth the squeeze uh, from 
paying for it as a local meat director, um, sure, if there's all kinds of money involved, you could in invent any system you want. Um, and maybe that will happen. But if you're running a local meet and you're just sanctioning it through the APF and their insurance is very, very low right now because the risk of injury and the risk of equipment damage traditionally has been very, very low in powerlifting, very low, lower than most other sports. Um, that would be my worry is just will insurance companies continue to cover that? And if they don't, as a meet director, you almost can't run the meet. Well, if anything, you could just have that particular division sign a separate waiver of some sort, some sort of legal legality thing where it's like, if you're going to use that shirt, it's just like they did with Suicide Grip years ago, back in the day. Like when I was a kid at the meets, if you were going to use Suicide Grip, you had to sign a different waiver. I don't know if they still do that or not, but back when I was younger, that's how it was. Like if you weren't going to put your thumb around the bar, you had to sign a completely different waiver and you had to sign a sheet that said, if you drop the bar on yourself, it's your own fault. Sure. Yeah. It, so, fair. Uh, you know, you're and, and I, I can speak to a couple of these things. Sorry to interrupt you, Eric. No, go I ahead, Ben. This is important. So, so Hunter, I, I love what you're saying about there has to be advancements in spotting. Hundred percent agree. I think that's just a general thing that there has to be advancements because we've seen too many things like 2016 World Stat and Kill in Texas. Thank you, USAPL. And by the way, you guys are come up into the IPF. We'll talk about that at a different time. But uh, I, I think that's an important thing to talk about is that there does need to be advances in the spotting, no matter what. I don't care what equipment you're in. Even the raw guys, you look at the numbers that are being put up, you need to have good safety systems set up uh, for the lifters. To Eric's point, and I think, honestly, to your point, Hunter, when you talk about people are always going to push the limits, right? You said at the very beginning, I think it's a really, you know, all of us kind of have that moment of like, hey, I was the 100-pound weakling that couldn't bench press a bar or couldn't bench press 95 pounds, right? All of us have had that moment in our life. Unfortunately, what is going to happen is you're also going to have a lot of kids, and, and I I hate to categorize folks, but they're kind of like the Larry Wheel zealots, that, oh, these people push big weight. This is the way I can do it. And so it's somebody who should that has no business being in those shirts. That is what it's going to cause, potentially, potentially, insurance companies to go, how on earth did some... 22 year old kid snap both their forearms with 600 pounds in their hand who on earth gave them the, the wherewithal to even think about that i say that because i part of my job is to look forward and think about this kind of stuff and think of the worst case scenario but to your point one of the ways we can get around that howard or hunter and to truly like get towards a better system is better spotting better systems part of it can come with money ultimately that's where it all comes from is money because this is a sport that is a hobby right now and until, like, really there's, like, a ton of money into it, it's going to have to be baby steps. Yeah. And and honestly, like, it's, it's also going to take people like yourself, like Eric and I, those that are around the sport to go, hey, young person, and I'm going to pick on one of our members of 2XL, hey, Timor, you're 16 years old. Maybe you shouldn't put on a, you know, one of these four-layer slinger shirts and, you know, throw 800 pounds in your 165-pound hands. Let's pump the brakes on that for a couple of years. It's really going to honestly be on, the onus will be on the lifters to allow those baby steps to happen. Is well, real quick. Opinion. That's why, guys. I don't know if you're aware. Anderson Powerlifting. We actually have a high school one ply. We actually have a band shirt that's only one layer, mm -hmm. and it's pretty easy to use. I mean, I, I would consider it like a uh, kind of like the sling materials you guys are used to. A little bit stronger than that, so I mean they're going to get the same kind of same poundages they would be using in a, in a single ply bench shirt, mm -hmm. but it's a lot easier to get in and out of. So as far as like what your guys are saying with safety concerns, 
Um, I don't know if they'd want to do like a uh, like an age limit restriction on that, kind of like we do with certain things like cigarettes and alcohol, and you know, and, and, and dangerous after a certain point. You know, sure. should I be twenty one to buy a two ply or you know whatever the case may be? <laughs> That's funny you know, to for me. Real. But no, but <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> but it is kind of funny. Or or uh, you know what? Have it set like you know what? If you if you bench X amount raw in a meet, that qualifies you to to purchase this shirt. You know what I mean? Like if you do, if you can't do this much at least, if sure. you got no business buying this level, sure. And, I'm, I'm, and, and and I think that's that's an important thing to bring up is like there there's just certain people that just have no business being in certain types of equipment yet. Well, Hunter, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the the background. We've talked about it a little bit on the show, but as I understand it, Mike Womack was the first one to make a sort of bench shirt out of a knee wrap material, and it was humongous in Texas for the very reason you're saying, because it was easier to use. It was easier to put on and off. I believe Texas high school powerlifting was the first organization to allow a shirt to have a knee wrap material in it. And it's been allowed for, I think my research is somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 10 years. Um, and they've been using this killer B shirt quite a bit in Texas for the very reason that you're stating that it's, it's easier to use. And I think from their perspective, it's easier to take on and off and, plausibly multiple athletes could use the same shirt in the same meet. You, you hit the nail on the head right there because the thing is these coaches have big teams, and the problem is before with the shirts having to be so specifically sized, they couldn't share them as easily. Plus, it's a lot harder to share those shirts than the suits. But with these shirts, you know, you can take them on and off. You can trade them off really easily. And the Pharrell shirt, actually, the single ply is Texas High School Pyro thing uh, certified. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, I saw those labels recently when I was at Wabdo Worlds with uh, – uh, with Kevin, with Anderson Powerlifting, I was looking at the high school shirts, and they have all of those uh, those certifications, so those kids can actually use the Pharrell shirts versus having to use uh, Womack stuff. Yeah, uh, good for Pharrell. I think that could be a huge market for him. Certainly, I mean that's. A, mm-hmm. I mean, there's hundreds of high school powerlifters. I guess along that same token, then here would be another. Again, when I think about it from a safety and liability standpoint, right now you cannot just throw on an SDP. And bench a bunch more. We all, all three of us know that there's a certain level of technical skill required. And with traditional poly shirts, it seems like the limiting factor has always been that there's the ability that you have to be able to touch with a tight shirt. Um, it seems like that technical skill that is required is not as required as much with a band shirt, at least to the point to be able to touch because it is a, a stretchier material. So could you have, like Bain said, a Larry Wheels disciple throw on a a three ply <laughs> a three ply Rob Farrell shirt who doesn't have the background and the technical prowess that you've had, Hunter, from benching for fifteen years and kind of progressing your way up from single ply to multi ply to banchers. That would be, you know, a concern because you don't have that governor of having to touch with a tight poly shirt. I would say, you know, okay, so to to get to your point, like, would there, would there be a benefit to going through, like, what I went through for 15 years versus, like, getting straight into the, the band shirts? Uh, yeah, the technical proficiency thing is a big deal. And understanding, like, what to do in oh shit moments, you know, there's a lot, like, smaller window in a band shirt of oh shit to where you can't fix it. Not wrong. You know, and you can't, you can't correct it. Versus, like, in normal equipment, like, I don't know, like, you're handling more than you can raw, but there's a lot of situations, like, you can almost, like, wiggle your way out of and, like, 
you know, if you're having an oh shit moment, you can kind of like almost wiggle yourself back into the groove in a normal, normal equipment versus like in a band shirt. Like if you miss it, it's, like that's it. <laughs> you're not wrong. I've, I've watched, I've, I've watched bad things happen in both, uh, both apparatus and, and you're right. It, it especially with a, with a poly shirt and, and with a, uh, an SDP specifically is what I'm thinking of you almost have the premonition like you're watching things kind of go and it's a little slower. Like, okay, this is about to happen, right? Versus I've seen the band shirt and I've seen, I mean, an 1,100-pound bench press very nearly, you know, go into somebody. I've seen him go into somebody on video, but actually there in person. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that, that oh shit moment comes very, very quickly. And, and, and that, I think, is just something to be it. People have to be aware of it, and and that's that. I think, from my my perspective, as somebody who provides safety at me so often, is my biggest concern. Is you just you start to lose the ability to keep looking safe. That is my only concern around it. Because ultimately, I think we're, we all agree. Like we love the concept of pushing more weight. We love the concept of different divisions, so we can make sure that those who have come before you know still get their credit. And ultimately, I think that these these tools are not going away. This isn't a fact. I, I, I'm going to say that right now. They're not going to go anywhere. Whether it is, you know, another evolution, a different, like, backing, whatever. These types of tools are probably not going anywhere. But it's how do they coexist with the rest of the powerlifting world. Sure. Hunter, uh, really appreciate you taking some time to chat with Bane and I and, uh, you know, providing a different perspective than the one that we've talked about often. Um, anything else you'd like to add on what we've been talking about or – Anything else? I think you like to plug your social media or anything like that. Uh, yeah, you know, first of all, I would like to thank you guys just for thinking of me and having me in mind when you guys had this topic. Um, you know, just come to mind in general. I've been I've been doing my best to to really promote the multiply uh, community and uh, limited community now that that's available, and that's partly why I got into it. <clears throat> like I was telling my good friend Belinda. Melinda Clary, you guys are friends with her. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. We were just talking about this recently, and I said the reason I got into the band to begin with is to be different, to get noticed, to be outside of the box, to do something other people are not doing. And I saw a few people getting on this, and I was like, man, I'm going to jump on this train right now and hit it while it's hot, you know, and, and, and see what this is all about. So it was more of like an experimental thing, you know, because mm-hmm. I'll be honest, like I when I first started, you guys can go back and look on YouTube. There's a YouTube interview that's like two hours long of me and Tiny Beaker, and I'm bashing Banjer. I'm talking <laughs> shit. I'm like, Fuck, you know, I'm like, this is bullshit. It's not a shirt. He's got open in the arm. All these different things, right? I have this crazy <laughs> opinion. And you know what? Honestly, my opinion is on a complete 180 after spending a year competing in the band shirt. Because, like, I did mm-hmm. baddest benchers. You know, one best lifter at that show. I got to go home with a single trophy. You know, it was cool. And then I went to two meets in a triple fly band shirt. I cut down so much. I freaking almost died having to cut so much weight twice in the same year. And I bombed at both meets with the all-time world record in these shirts. So it's like, yeah, you can do more. And, yeah, it's, like, available. But it's not easy. Like, like you guys are just saying, 15 years of experience doing this, learning the technical side of it, like, there's still, like, a, a huge technical piece to these shirts, for sure, that, that's mm-hmm. yet to be, like, untapped. And some people have kind of figured it out a little bit, but I don't even think that the people that have hit those big, big weights yet have it, like, 100% dialed in or 100% figured out yet because when they do, man, like you're saying with the numbers, it's, it's going to be 
Like when they say unlimited category, they're not kidding, man. Like, like for myself personally, like I'll be real with you guys. In a, in a normal double ply shirt, I was doing like 500 to like 535 off the boards at like my heaviest. Versus in these shirts, I mean, I've done 727 off a two board. So like, yeah, you could definitely handle more weight for sure, but you have to be you have to be strong uh, to get to that that level for sure, and that that unlimited level like i'm talking about there has to be a uh uh a strong dude under that shirt for sure there's well, definitely it's definitely not uh <laughs> or, or or do that or do that yeah so sure yeah you know, no 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 don't get me wrong I mean, <laughs> like that, that uh that six, 605 and uh 607 bench we just saw recently was just un, unreal the numbers are just going to yeah. keep going up i mean Jimmy Culp's training partner, her name is escaping me at the moment, but she's going to bench like close to 700 in two weeks at this meet. I'm, I'm actually competing uh, at uh, WRPF Nationals here in Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Micah's meet, um, yep. and uh, she's coming out too. I think her name's Amber, but she's going to bench somewhere between six and 700 pounds, man. Yeah, I'm actually training with Amber on uh, on Friday at uh, North of the Border. Unreal strength, man. Unreal strength. She's 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 ridiculous. We've had her on the show a couple times. Uh, I mean, women. We can go into women's powerlifting all we want. I mean, it, it, that they aren't the main event anymore. Uh, well, yeah. it's not the main event project. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a- Amber is one of those who is like leading the charge of these women that are are coming out of the woodwork. Is like, holy fuck! Like they are so strong. It's not even funny. So that does bring up a good point, Hunter. That uh, it's something that uh, has been talked about with these shirts. At least one of the selling points that was sold to me from others is that you will have less bombs. I mean, you probably remember in those mid-2000s where it was like if somebody ran a multiply bench meet, it was like two-thirds of the lifters were going to bomb, and like whoever was left that maybe barely got an attempt in was going to win. And the sell was that with these band shirts, you're going to have less bombs. And baddest bencher, the meet you talked about, comes and goes, and it doesn't seem like that was the case. The guy who stood as far as, like, the heaviest bencher was Kolb. Uh, I mean, yourself winning best lifter coefficient, but of the really, really big guys pushing 1,000-plus pounds, the only one left standing was Jimmy Kolb, who was lifting in a single ply. So do you think bombs will would be less in the band shirts, or is it about the same, where it's a, it's a high-risk, high-reward endeavor? I think it would be worse. Okay, wow. Well, that's not a selling ooh, point. Ooh, then. hot take. <laughs> that I is like a hot it. take, Hunter. Yeah, that's that's not a good selling here's point why. for me. Go ahead. No, yeah. no, no. Here's here's why. Because you can the people that are going to get in these shirts, they're going to be able to train with stupid heavy weight right off the boards, like we're talking about. <laughs> but I don't think that people are going to spend the time it takes to learn how to touch in these shirts properly and learn how to spend their time at the bottom because they're going to be mm-hmm. having so much fun at the top off the boards that they're not going to back it down and they're not going to use the weight necessary to, to learn how to touch properly. And I only say that because I'm a victim of it myself throughout the course of this year. You know, it's like you, you get to a point where it's like, you know, you could, you just want to go more, 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 more. You're like, you're saying like, what's the limit, right? How much weight can I put on this bar? How much weight can I put on this bar? But you start forgetting about like the small little pieces of like what got you to where you are, you know? Where it's like in training, like you still have to focus on those other points. And it's like, you know, if you spend X amount of weeks without taking that to a touch, like when you go to take that to a touch, it don't matter how strong you are, like at the top. You, right? you go learn the day. You go learn the day. <laughs> yes. Yes. So people, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm a big, I'm a big believer that if people are going to use these shirts, get lesser ply. 
and work up or get multiple ones, get a single ply, get a double ply, get a triple ply, and go and utilize the different layers. So that way you actually know what you're doing and you can learn to touch properly and you can get that groove set. Because the thing is, in these shirts, what people don't realize is you have to warm your back up. Like you're pulling against that weight. It's a lot of lat, a lot of rear delt. Um, you know, if you don't, if you don't almost like warm up against the shirt and you just go right into it, like that's not a good scenario in my personal opinion. You're, you're not going to have a good time. Well, that, uh, that is definitely an interesting perspective. Hot take Hunter. Well, again, we appreciate yeah, your time like Hunter. That. Um, where can people find you on social media? I mean, you've got the multiply powerlifting group, um, anywhere yeah, else Hunter I don't Hernandez know if on Facebook, uh, huh? Instagram, Hunter one love on Instagram. Uh, if okay. people want to follow me there, um, okay. you know, I'm also uh, sponsored by Anderson Powerlifting. Uh, mm-hmm. People want to get a 10% discount on Anderson. It's Hunter 10. Okay. Uh, we'll get you 10% off. And then also uh, Gun Power uh, Supplements. They make pre-workouts, protein powders, stuff like that. Uh, it's real good stuff. I'm sponsored by them. You could do uh, code 132KING10. Uh, King is in all caps with that for the 10% discount code. Um, and, yeah, just, you know, shout out to uh, – Pretty much anyone uh, who may be listening to the show that helps support me in any any way, shape, or form throughout my, you know, my powerlifting career. You know, the guy who got me started, Corey Dexter, you know, Tiny Meeker, Scott Mendelson. Scott Mendelson helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, as I mentioned, Anderson Powerlifting, Team Nemesis, uh, you know, Fred Clary, Blenda Clary, you know, uh, the, the Fahey's, Tom and Lisa Fahey. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're great people. Uh, you know, they... Uh, I would say the year, the good solid year that I spent, you know, not missing a training session with Team Nemesis, uh, I feel like I graduated a bit as a lifter. Like, I was already pretty good, but they brought me to that level where it was like I had this inner confidence where it was like, you know, you'd line them up, I'll knock them down type confidence, you know. Um, so they're, they're good people. If you ever get a chance to go spend time training with them, um, I would highly, highly suggest that. Okay. Uh, yeah, we love uh, we love Team Nemesis that we see them quite often at our meets. Yep, definitely. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, they're good people. Thanks so much, Hunter. Um, I think this has been a very interesting discussion. Um, I've appreciated hearing your perspective on things, and uh, you know, kind of hearing a different view on on this uh, hot take that I've had for a number of months. Mister Bay, anything else to add? Uh, I love this because we have different opinions and we're fucking adults and we can still be friends afterwards. What a great time to be alive, yeah. folks. Nice <laughs> job. We did it. Yay. <laughs> well, thanks so much, yeah, Hunter. Yeah, I have to get out there. Uh, hey, real quick, Eric. Oh, you yeah, yeah. still got a gym over uh, in uh, like the uh, suburbs of Chicago area? Yeah, uh, we are in Lombard, Illinois. You got it. All right. You know what? My sister lives not far from you guys. So next time I'm in town visiting, I'm going to come I'm gonna come see you guys. It's I'll come great. through, baby. It's going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely. You know what? And and you might hate me for this, but when I come, I'm gonna put you in a band shirt, <laughs> and we're we're gonna go through a workout. You don't have to film it. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to I'll say do anything. It, but I want to at least put you in one and just go through a session, and then just I want I want your opinion when we get done. So you, so I will tell you we'll just before before we we shut down. So I was a raw, raw guy. I didn't hate on multiply. I always found it fascinating, but I was a raw guy. And Eric, you, you've been with me at meets. I've been doing raw for, you know, seven years now with, with, uh, with the APF. Steve Brock called me up and said, and asked me, how much do you weigh? This is how he opened the conversation. I'm like, I don't know, 265, man. Why? He's like, cool. Be at the gym on Sunday. He threw a shirt on me and that was the start. 
<laughs> yeah, that's all it takes, man. <laughs> and and that that was the evolution, and now getting ready for you know my first multi-ply meet in December, and you know that but that was the start with Steve Brock. Like I need you to stretch your shirt out, come up to the gym, second time in the shirt, I touch five hundred pounds. Well, you come up here, Hunter, and I'll uh, I'll put a band shirt on. We could do a training session together. Ooh, baby, let's go. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, thanks so much, Hunter. Appreciate your time. All right, Mr. Bain, uh, there was our point counterpoint on band quote shirts. Yeah, this is great, great discussion. I think uh, both of you may, well, all of us made, I think, uh, solid points. And I, I think this is these are important discussions to have because obviously you and I can debate and do kind of do devil's advocate. But, you know, I would say, like, you're not going to sway Hunter, nor is he going to sway you. And I kind of like that. And, and obviously you guys kept it civilized, which was good. Not everybody does that. Uh, but I thought it was awesome. Uh, some news, though, since the interview. Yeah, since since we had uh, had that interview, um, the WPO has announced that they will have a bench bash to be held in March 2022 mm-hmm. in Florida, and they will allow uh, two very specific. I don't know what the specifics up, up are. Up to two ply. Up to two ply quote band shirts is what was been announced. They have to be pre-approved per per the advertisement. So yeah, it doesn't sound like it's just going to be you know allow any shirt like it is in every other organization. You know take a slanger and put a tail on it. I mean, my guess is going to be Pharrell only. Yeah, I, my guess is that Pharrell is probably going to be the one. I, I would I would wonder if maybe Inzer has something waiting Possibly. in the wings. Because I, I do remember that Inzer had something. That's a bench rocket. That's not going to be fucking legal. <laughs> no, I remember he had something that I thought I saw on the website for a hot minute. And I remember Donnie Thompson posting. Uh, it was like a hybrid band poly shirt that they had made for texas high school powerlifting oh, and it was like gotcha. band on the sleeves and the arm and had poly in the middle um but maybe it blew out maybe it didn't hold together so i'm not sure but yeah i would be surprised if if titan and Enzer didn't have something that would also be legal that um yeah. and, I, and then also uh hunter at the wrpf uh nationals uh in las vegas this, just this past weekend uh bench 518 yeah, very impressive, Hunter. Very, very, uh, since very nice. since we've originally recorded, um, uh, it was about a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, impressive lifting, Hunter. I, I do think it's ironic that you're using a band shirt in the World Raw Powerlifting Federation. They they have uh, a whole multiply division. That's uh, very strange. It, it is very unique to me. Yeah, because actually somebody posted his like lifts in one. I, th- I think it was in the multiply group, or so. maybe the conjugate group, and it was like one of the guys from England was like, uh. Your metal says raw, but it <laughs> looks like you're lifting equipped. He's like, oh, he's and the guy, the lifter's like, I don't come up with the names. I just lift. Yeah, I just lifted him. I guess. Um, you know, I, I did enjoy hearing a different perspective. I don't know what I expected, but I did enjoy hearing Hunter's perspective. Uh, I mean, Hunter's a nice guy to talk to. I mean, he's yeah. he's a very positive guy. Yes. Um, I thought he had some good points. Um, some things I had not thought about. Um, I do think the most interesting thing he said was that he thinks that the bomb outs will be worse. With that that was a hot take. I dug that a lot. He would know. Yeah. I mean, and here's the thing. And I said this to him in the interview. I think one of the selling points that they've said on these band shirts is that it will be easier to touch. And because it's easier, it will be easier to touch. And because the learning curve is lessened, supposedly, that you're going to see less bomb outs in these big bench meets. And I guess... This WPO meet will be exhibit a big test. Um, if I could have a hot take, I think I agree with Hunter. I mean the and now it, it the depends. previous non WPO bench bash that was earlier this year. Case in point. Well, l- l- let me preface that. 
I think it depends on who shows up. And I don't want to name anybody. Very but, true. But if some of the usual suspects that were at the other bench bash show up, I think it will be a similar result. I uh, agree. If it is some of the traditional WPO lifters that decide to go do a bench only with a band shirt on, I think the results could be very positive. So I think you could see some pretty crazy numbers too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think that Hunter had an answer for my contention that or my question of where is the line? You sure. Because he and I both agree, that, and that's why we like Multiply and him Unlimited, is that, hey, we want to put on as much as we can and see how much we, weight we can lift. But mm-hmm. there has to be a line somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like, otherwise, why not allow elbow wraps? Right. Why not allow full length full sleeves on these shirts? Why not allow the squat suits to go down to the knees? Down, yeah, down your why ankles. Not allow, why, not, okay. why not allow five meter knee wraps yeah why not allow two pairs of knee wraps like uh, why not allow three pairs of briefs and El- two elbow sleeves over your knee wraps i mean i mean uh, let's be honest like obviously everybody agrees there should be a line mm-hmm. now maybe my definition where the line should be as arbitrary as his mm-hmm. uh, but uh, he he didn't seem to want to nail down like where is that line yep. um because and- it is rubber okay like what about like a full rubber suit like you know that you would wear like in uh, scuba diving like, yeah. a, like a full just full rubber you know, scuba diving style rubber. Skin, that's skin suit, essentially. Like yeah. a skin suit that's, uh, you know, put in that same kind of like shirt, quote shirt. unquote, you know, with sleeves and a, and a neckish. Like, is that okay? Like, that's rubber. I mean, uh, so in, in theory, and, and here, here's the, the counterpoint I make to that is that if you choose not to have a line, then you're just, in my view, you're going to be open to basically anything that can be good and bad. Yeah. I would say that, you know, in your case, you, you've drawn the line, it sounds like a poly. And until you see something that is, uh, you know, close to that, in this case, you know, the, the rules, especially for the APF, are pretty clear with the rubber and with the uh, added, muscu- added to the musculature uh, of the lifter. So for now, it, you know, it's not really an APF issue. Yeah, I mean, and I had a member ask me tonight, like, you know, how can the WPO do that? Well, that's why Wayne created a separate organization for the WPO. Correct. Now, he mostly does follow APF WPC rules, but there are some small changes, as there were mm-hmm. with the original WPO, and I think that's fine. And yeah, I think because it is more of a spectacle than anything else. And, and if that's what it is, I'm okay with it. Um, I am not, again, I voted against it. I will continue to vote against the APF and WPC to allow uh, those banned shirts um, for the aforementioned reasons. So they're banned. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, but it doesn't seem like he had an answer to where is the line, and should there be a line? If not, I mean, why not? Hey, anything goes. You know, wrap yourself in whatever you want. Have a forklift. You know, I, I, I think there should be a line somewhere. And to me, and I know I always we have a whole episode talking about how single ply is bullshit. It is, and I think it is. But at the same token, at least they've they've definitively set here is the line: single ply polyester. Yep. That's that's it. It's got to be a closed material. It could be stretchy, but it this is what it is. And that's the governor for it. And you can still do a lot of weight in that. I think the squat's the biggest difference there. Um, You know, I do think that he could, and I'm surprised he didn't make this argument because to me, one of the major arguments you could make against my contention that band shirts are not, quote, shirts, is that, well, are open back shirts shirts? That's a very valid point. And I would say that 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 would be an interesting point for someone to argue, well, if, if you're arguing that bench shirt should fit the definition of a traditional shirt, do open back shirts meet that definition? And I would say something like a super duper phenom, it at least toys with the line. It, now, it does have sleeves. Yep. It does have a collar. But being completely open back, 
I used an open back shirt, and so I, I don't want to be hypocritical, but if we required all bench shirts to have a closed back, I would be okay with that. I would just get, honestly, I would just cut a Under Armour shirt and just get it sewn to the back. I mean, and that's a, if you, if you, I don't know if you've seen any of the Titan shirts, yeah. but all the Titan shirts, they essentially have a stretchy back. Yeah. And it's a closed back and because Rudy makes it uh, one similar. Yeah. Because that's what the single ply shirts acquired. So all the single ply shirts basically now have gone, and Titan was the innovator of that. They basically said, well, why do we need polyester yeah. all the way around the shirt? It's only the front of the shirt is where, you know, the pressure's coming. Now, in the newer shirts, the old Inzer shirts probably needed the closed back shirt, be, uh, the closed back, because the pressure point was actually in the armpits versus in the Titan shirts and the open back shirts, the pressure is more on the chest plate or even more so on the collar with the open back. Right. So if your argument is open back shirts aren't shirts, uh, you could make that argument to me. But uh, to me, it's a better argument to say we should ban open back shirts than it is to allow banned shirts. I would agree. So if we wanted to say, yeah, open back shirts aren't shirts, okay, let's put a piece of stretchy material. In fact, I think maybe from the perspective of something like the WPO, I think you could make a, a certainly an argument that the presentation of a closed back bench shirt would look better to the audience I would the general audience generally just, agree with that. just because it, it, it would just be a more succinct piece that was attached to your body. And it doesn't, I don't think it would have to necessarily super change the performance of it. Just like you said, put a piece of lycra material like mm-hmm. a singlet and attach it to the back of the shirt. And you could have the same polyester supportive material on the front. Yep. Agreed. Um, and the one where I think Hunter's weakest argument to me was when we started talking about safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I made the argument, you know, what what happens when somebody attempts to bench 1,500 pounds? Do I, could we even load that much on even a 55-pound bench bar? I'm not sure. I, we, is I, there a- I, I was running the math in my head. Like, you, you're going to need to have three 50 – like, to start, three sets of 50 kilos. Sure. And, and then you start piling on. And in that case, I mean, you're talking – still nine possibly ten reds right and how much how much of that can fit on a modern bar i I, I mean are you going to have to get like a circus bar like they use in strongman and then what's gonna be the whippiness of it mm -hmm. um you know at what point is it just not safe for regular meats and you know his arguments well they they will have to improve the safety well who's they well if, if, if i was taking that comment and and please understand this is not me bashing hunter i just i i agree like safety standards will have to improve where does that come from honestly it comes from people like me sure and, and meat directors those who are going to make that investment because if meat directors make that investment and then you're going to have people like myself who you know do a lot of spotting or have done it and maybe now do like some advising to others and and we have to come up with the, with these systems but what it sounded like he was coming up with was some kind of like attachment system like do you take the bench and, it's, it's and put to, it in the monolift and put safety straps on there yeah or? similar to what i think what blaine has now developed after his incident uh squatting where he almost tore his arm off where like he has like a suspension system from the ceiling i just don't know how viable that is in a remote meat setting like it's, yeah if you're if we're here at 2xl with an, it's an event center sure you could probably set that up because it's permanent sure but for your average meat director yeah. for your average local meat no and you you're going to you're going to screw that into the roof of a hotel are you kidding no no it's 100% not and here's the thing right now for right or for wrong the organizations that allow slanger shirts are the smallest 
organizations in powerlifting in the world. The, the only exception I would say is the WRPF. That's the only, and that's uh, still, but that's still sure, not, sure, still not a massive organization. Right. It's not, and not only that, but their multiplied division is minuscule. Correct. Correct. So, of the organizations that allow it, they are the smallest. And of those organizations, the amount of people that are even lifting multiply. Is very or slash unlimited is very very small. Agreed. Um, I mean, you've got IPA, and this is not me like ripping on these organizations. This is just math. Yeah, it's it's just math. You know, RPS, IPA, SPF—they are all fairly smaller regional organizations. So, you know, who's going to come up with these new safety implements, and with who, with what money? Um, Sure, if there's a bunch of money in Slanger shirts, maybe with the WPO, maybe. Sponsors will love seeing this, and some money will come in, mm-hmm. and they will figure that out. I, I'm very skeptical of that, A. B, I don't know how you trickle that down to the, the local level meet. Yeah. And I don't know if insurance companies start to see uh, some of the stuff that's gone on with these Slanger shirts. I mean, I think when we were recording the interview with, with Hunter, yep. somebody sent us a, a video, of, a, a video of a female snapping her arm. And, and here's the thing, that, that happened, and it has happened with poly shirts It has, as well. and, it, and it will continue and to. Will continue. What I do think, because the poly also has additional support around it, whether it's the, the Inzer, the SDP, whether it's the, uh, you Titan. Know, the Titan, whether it's uh, an overkill shirt, especially the overkill shirts, they have the support behind the shoulder as well. With these, there isn't any support. And, and with the rubber, there isn't going to be... Uh, this is the natural. There's not that sp- compression, right? Yeah. The compression, the natural stopping power, and so what you could, in theory, see is something we were talking about uh, yesterday up at uh, Wolfpack Barbell is that you could see somebody sever an arm. Which no, here's the thing, no one, Hunter doesn't want to see that. You don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Right. No one does. Now I'm also not advocating to get rid of these because if nothing else, I think these could be a potentially great training tool. This is first Robert's second opinion, and there are organizations that allow you to to lift with them, and but just. Folks have to understand there is not a zero chance of that happening. It's and certainly a higher chance than with raw and even with multiply. Correct. Well, the limiting factor with multiply bench shirt has always been the need to have to touch. And that you, technical ability of right. the lifter. You can't have a 10-ply bench shirt. You can't have a super tight poly bench shirt because you have to touch your chest right. at a certain point. And that was the governor. That doesn't exist with these band shirts because it's rubber. And, and that was the argument that I made was that you will have people that have no business with those weights over their faces taking those weights. There are other, like, I think great examples of people that have had a long history of training. Hunter's one. Bob Merck is another. Uh, Chad Burdett. All people that have, you know, good, solid benches in right. a poly shirt. And then you throw this on, and now you've got numbers that are pretty. I mean, you've got Bob who's benched 1,000 in one of these. You've got Hunter who, you know, at 148 is benching 518. I believe he took 600 for a ride at uh, this past week as well. Chad has got a 900-pound bench. I mean, these are very, very big numbers and huge jumps because of that. But, again, these are people that have a long training history as well. You're going to have some 150-pound Larry Wheel Zealot that goes, oh, this is just a really big uh, ram or slingshot. Let's fucking try it. Yeah, it could be. And very, they're going to do it at an export. It could be very bad, and very bad, very uh, I don't. I, I I can tell you with any power I have, and I'm not saying I have any, but with any voting, with any influence I have, I will vote against these, and I do not want them at my meets. Uh, the only exception would be if I was ever involved in something like this WPO bench bash, sure. 
And yes, it'd be professional lifters, and there maybe would be some sponsor money to help support any kind of safety safety implement yep. slash you know having you know the best spotters we can find. But even then, I mean, come on. At a certain point, is there enough weight on the? If there's enough space on the bar, and is there strong enough people to support that much weight at a time? I mean, Correct. we're talking about more than plausibly more than people are squatting. Yep, Correct. on your arms. On a bench where the bar is above your face and neck. And, that, and that's what I'm waiting for is one of these benches not to be structurally sound enough to hold it. That, that's something I hadn't even thought of. I mean, we yeah. know the monoliths are because it's a giant structure. But, I, yeah, I Look mean. At those well, weld points. I mean, you, that, like at this bench bash, that's probably the first thing. Wayne, if you're listening to this, that's the first thing you want to check is check those weld points. Make sure that sucker is sturdy. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I assume most of the like, elite FTS-style benches are strong, but. I don't think they've have ever. They, I don't have think they ever been tested for anything. They, they've never been tested. I mean, well, how about the wood on the bench pad? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, there's got to be a weak point there. So, so but all, all that said, Hunter, thank you for coming on because I loved a lot of the points you made. I love the passion you have for lifting. That is apparent, and and I think that's important. And I think we're going to have more and more of these point counterpoint conversations. Yeah, because uh, anybody I think else this is great. If anybody else disagrees with uh, Bane and I on any of my any of I or Bane's hot takes, yeah. Uh, we'd be happy to have you on to to argue with us. And again, I don't know that we really argued with Hunter. That's why I said it. it's not a devil's advocate. It's really not a debate. It's more of a discussion. Exactly. It's more of us just, you know, kind of making our points and hearing the counterpoint, essentially. Exactly. So anyways, Mr. Bain, I think that is all for today's episode. Yeah. Um, next week and beyond, uh, we will look soon. I don't know if it'll be next week or the next episode. We will do a full timeline mm -hmm. of the last year of the USAPL's removal from the IPF. We've talked about it in a number of episodes in our hot topic. Yeah, we, we need to get this all succinct. I think we need to all put it together and then put it in the context of the original 1997 yep. uh, episode of the USAPL being made the IPF US affiliate and removing the USPF. Now, we won't go through the entire timeline of that, but... We'll put it into context and the players involved. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, Bane is still he's still nope, I'm done. Oh, I, have, I have completed the anabolics book. Okay, well, you could pass it back on to me, and I, I will start my reading assignment. Have fun. Um, we've talked about <laughs> yeah, we've talked about how we've got an an ebook from our buddy Peter Royo that we eventually will have him on for I think for another interview. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And we've always got some some more interviews uh, in the in the pipeline that we are working on. We talked about some of them with some of the. Uh, some of the main event projects, uh, I don't know what we call them, leads. Founders. Founders. Oh, I like that, founders. Um, and some others that we're working on. Definitely. Um, if you like the podcast, leave us a review with words. Yes, with On words. Apple Podcasts. Um, we know you, words. We have the best words. We need words for the podcast. Uh, leave us feedback on our Instagram account. You can slip on into our DMs. Yeah, slide on in. And if you would like to support the show, it's Christmas time. It is. You could buy some Strength and Anger merch. Do you know someone who's strong? you know someone who's angry? Let's show them how. Do you know someone who doesn't care about soccer? Yes. Uh, you know someone who's wrong? Wrong, wrong. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and head into the link in our, uh, that's in our link bio. In bio. Link in a bio in our link tree. Um, anything else to add, Mr. Bain? Uh, you know, I think I'll see us out with a, a very appropriate uh, little melody here. I love democracy. This is how Raw dies to thunderous applause. <laughs> With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger.
right, checking, checking, check, 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 check. Check, 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 check